singing in the rain, just singing in the rain. What a glorious feeling! I'm happy again. I'm Welcome to the IMDb Journey podcast, where we break down one movie and episode from the top 250 and give our thoughts, our reviews, and any general discussion along the way. My name is Daniel Henderson, and our goal here at the podcast is to make them laugh, not make them cry. And I'm Dee Jeffrey, and I feel about as good as Gene Kelly did when he sung Singing in the Rain. And today we'll be breaking down the 1952 Technicolor musical Singing in the Rain. Dean, it's been a minute since our last podcast. It's been a long time. How many weeks has it been? Four? Five? Yeah, I think it's coming on four. Jesus. Yeah. Uh, Poor form, Hendo. Well, <laughs> just for everyone listening, please, I've been bugging and bugging and bugging him to do it every night, and he just been putting it off, putting it off, putting it off, so... Do apologise on his behalf. You are being a bit of a trooper here, though. You're coming in still quite ill. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, that, that I d- actually did not mean that. Um, <laughs> yeah, no, I'm I'm a bit sick still, but we're getting through it. But aside from that, how have you been in this last month? This last month, yeah, pretty good, pretty good. I had um a few weeks off work, which is always nice. So you know, I didn't I didn't go away or anything, but I did, you know, had a chance to relax and everything. And of course, day one, I go back to work, I get sick. It's always the way. Oh, it's just, it's a pain in the ass because you want it, you want it, like I had three weeks off. I want to go back to work and be energetic, enthusiastic, you know, refresh. And I just, I went back and felt like absolute shit. <laughs> so be sure to stick around after the breakdown, guys, where we'll be talking about a lot of other films we've been seeing recently, including the films Dean gave to me on the previous podcast settling the bet there as well as our academy awards wrap up if you'd like to follow along on this journey then please make sure you subscribe to the podcast we're available on itunes and most other podcast apps on ios and android just search for imdb journey or click on the links in the show notes and if you really like us we would appreciate it if you would give us a good rating and review to help us get our name out there we'd love to see this podcast grow and expand its listenership yeah, we're also out there on social media too. You can follow us on Twitter at IMDB Journey. I'm pretty active on the account at the moment and happy to start up a movie convo with anyone. And check out our Letterboxd page too. Just search for IMDB Journey there as well. All right, it's been almost a month. What's been going on in the IMDB 250 list? I imagine quite a number of moves. Well, we've actually had a change in the top 10. That's how long it's been. <laughs> Really? Yeah. Is it just a shuffle of the same movies? Yep, just a shuffle of two movies here. Return of the King has taken over seventh spot and dropped Pulp Fiction down to eighth. Hmm. Yes. Interesting. So Must mo- be all those people rewatching Lord of the Rings in anticipation of the uh, live-action TV series that's going to come out about it. You'd think. You would think. <laughs> Did you know about that? I didn't. Yeah, it's meant to be, like, massive. Okay. I'm looking forward to that. So anyway, uh, Coco has <laughs> Coco has dropped how many places? Coco has gone from 49 to 58. It's so, really not too bad. Yeah, it's still staying in there. It's better than some of the other 2017 films that we've been talking about on this list. Is Coco the highest rated 2017 film? Yep, that's right. Looks like it's going to stay that way as Three Billboards Outside Ebbing, Missouri drops from 110 to 124. Blade Runner 2049 has gone down from 145 to 174. And looking at the bottom of the list here, we've had five films that have dropped out. We've got Call Me By Your Name has dropped out. It went from 184 and oh, gradually disappeared. No. As well as Dunkirk. We're tracking Dunkirk all the way over these, these uh, podcasts. And it went from 233 to out of the list. <laughs> as well as those two, we've had Legend of 1900 drop out. As well as The Handmaiden and Once Upon a Time in India. 
And in its place is Tangerines, Pirates of the Caribbean, Curse of the Black Pearl, Before Sunset, Castle in the Sky, and PK are in the list now. Yeah, I think I'd take the new batch to the old batch. Before Sunset, Pirates of the Caribbean. Castle in the Sky. They're all good. Yeah, Dunkirk is in there, though. Dunkirk. Because <laughs> I can't wait to rewatch Dunkirk. I can't. You can. Or you would have rewatched it already. As always, we will be going deep, deep, deep into this movie. So if you haven't seen it, please be aware there will be full-on spoilers from the get-go. So you've been warned. And with that being said, let's get into Singing in the Rain. So, Singing in the Rain, released in 1952, starring Gene Kelly, Donald O'Connor, Debbie Reynolds, and Gene Hagen, directed by Stanley Donan and Gene Kelly, had an estimated budget of about $2.5 million and grossed worldwide about $14 million, which is about $131 million in today. Today. In today. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah, movies are different. It's hard, it's hard to compare from so long ago. That's why we have inflation. That's what it was like. We it would have made about 131 million these days. Yeah, but the cost of a ticket's gone up exponentially. Hence the word inflation. No, inflation takes into account the cost of money. So one dollar in 1952 is obviously worth a lot more than one dollar in 2018. That doesn't take into account ticket prices, does it? Mm. I'm just saying, like it it would have been a much bigger movie than 130 whatever million back in its time. I think the inflation still counts for the tickets. I mean, you go back to 1952, tickets are probably, what, $2? Now, they're like $20. That increases the inflation. It's the same thing. So you think the ticket inflation is equal for, like, basic economics compared to the ticket price? If the ticket prices were the same as they were in 1952 now... We're we're losing people here. Let's get back on track. (laughs) So with an 8.3 rating from about 177,000 reviews, it's currently sitting at number 89 on the top 250. It's actually at 90 when we uh, drew this out of the hat. Must be because we both got on there and gave it 10 out of 10s. Maybe. (laughs) So in 2007, the American Film Institute ranked this as the fifth greatest movie of all time. What a joke. The song Singing in the Rain ranks number three in their top songs as I well. I mean, that's more believable. It's at least iconic. This film isn't iconic? The film's iconic. No. Okay. The film's the film is iconic to a point, but there's so many more films. Whereas if you look at movie songs, there's not that many movie songs that are universally well known. Yeah, fair enough. Do you reckon there are people that know the song Singing in the Rain and don't know it's from a movie singing in the rain? I think a lot of people would think it's from A Clockwork Orange. Mm. Actually, did you know that Gene Kelly actually ignored Malcolm McDowell at the Clockwork Orange, at the, at the first time they met, because he was so insulted that they used that Singing in the Rain song during that rape scene at Clockwork Orange? Yeah, because it was all Malcolm McDowell's <laughs> idea, the choice of music they play. Good one, Gene. Yeah. <laughs> so, did you also know that the original negative of this film was destroyed in a fire? Negative. <laughs> Zing. <laughs> Sorry, if every time every time I laugh, I'm just it's gonna make me cough. <laughs> oh jeez. Uh, and Donald O'Connor admitted that he didn't actually enjoy working with Gene Kelly since uh, Gene Kelly was somewhat of a tyrant. And O'Connor said that for the first several weeks, he was terrified of making a mistake and being yelled at by Gene Kelly. Good. Well, I mean, there's also 
strong reports that Debbie Reynolds and him did not get on at all. Largely due to the fact that she'd never bloody danced before this movie. Yeah, so... Now, which kind of makes you wonder... Like, I imagine someone like Gene Kelly would have a large amount of pull in casting at this stage. Well, he's, he's the director. A, yeah, he's the director and he's the star of the show. Like, why would you hire someone who hadn't danced before to be in a musical full of dancing? Yeah, it always struck me as odd. I always maybe since she, I read it. Maybe she got big thumbs ago. up. Maybe she got big thumbs up from, you know, the her acting. And the her- other guy, Stanley Donnan, who shall henceforth be known as <laughs> the other guy. <laughs> So, Dean, do you have a plot summary for us today? It is your turn. I know, and I, I look forward so much to these plot summaries. Actually, before we get into your plot summary, do you want to tell the audience what, what happened to you and your all of your notes and everything <laughs> when we were ready to go the first time for this? Yeah, okay. So, I had all my notes on the movie, extensive work, hours I put into these notes, trivia, you know, the real deep, dark insights into my mind. <laughs> But not just the notes on Singing in the Rain. Now, as I had had three weeks off, I actually did pump through a very large amount of movies. I had 30 movie reviews written out on my phone, ready to go. And stupid, stupid man that I am, took my phone into the phone store and I got a new phone. Gave them my old phone. They said, would you like to back everything up? You know what I said? You'd think I would say, yes, please. Just, just everything. Please, just, do you don't it. Know, you don't know what I'm going to need in the future. No, 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 I said. No, I want to start fresh with this phone. <laughs> Wipe everything. I want nothing. You sure? Yep, yep. Don't, are you sure me, my friend? I know what I'm doing. <laughs> I swear to God, the second I got in my car after leaving the store, I, it just dawned on me and my heart sunk. Yeah, so I had I've, to... I've never seen... Uh, a message from you with so many caps locks, ca- capital I, I letters. Just, it was, oh my god! It was embarrassing. I, I felt so dumb, and uh, yeah. So I had to rewatch Singing in the Rain, which I love, and do a lot more notes, which I also enjoyed immensely. I think one of those is uh, false. Maybe two. Just, just I, one. I don't know. Uh, we're gonna um, find out. But uh, yeah, fair warning. I have not redone thirty reviews. I will wing it, and I may have forgotten a lot, but you get what you get, people. Yeah, I think that's the the harsh reality of doing a podcast. Take, Not ta- weekly? Ta- taking, yeah, taking so long to do a podcast. We really do want to do it weekly, We guys. will be. We will be, guys. We will. We'll get into our routine, and we'll get a weekly podcast going where we're not churning out 30 movies each at the end. Yeah. We'll be, you know, limiting it to 7 to 10, maybe. Yeah, that's yeah. I'll be doing that many. I'm not I watching seven to ten. I know you're more of a TV show guy. I've watched like seven seasons of The Office in the last week. <laughs> it's been fantastic, and I think half the reason I went to back to watching TV is because I just I'd had enough of writing all these reviews <laughs> and the build up of movies for the podcast. <laughs> all right, so where's that plot summary? Well, it's right here, my good friend. All right, why don't you give it to us? Singing in the Rain is the story of a silent movie star, Don Lockwood and his co-star, Lena Lamont, adapting to the times in Hollywood where the silent movie days are no more, a movie like The Jazz Singers coming out and being a hit, and they need to adapt to um, appearing in what they call talkies, what we now know as just normal movies. What else can I say? Just <laughs> wrap that up. <laughs> um, wait, 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 wait. Hijinks ensue. 
<laughs> God. Ensue? Ensue. What they, is it? Ensue? In, in in, in I don't know. Hijinks ensue. I don't think it's ensue. I think it's ensue. Hijinks ensue. Thank you for that riveting, riveting plot summary, Dean. Let's get into it. So I noticed straight away with this is the very first shot of the film because normally back you love talking about the very first shots of films so much it sets up the movie you gotta have a great first shot to get you involved in it anyway what's different from this movie as opposed to all the other movies that were out at that time oh I do remember the first shot of this movie sorry I was trying to remember what it was (laughs) bit of a spoiler alert this first shot isn't it what is why is it spoilery well you know they're gonna dance together Uh, anyway so, what's different about this than all the other films at this time? Oh, jeez. <laughs> For someone who doesn't have much of a voice, you sure can fucking butt in I and talk I can't help myself. I'm sorry. What makes it stand out from all the other films at that time is this quick little song of Singing in the Rain with the bright yellow raincoats. You know, most, I'm pretty sure all other films at that point were going straight into their title cards still with their, you know, their classic song going, you know, starring this person, starring this person, like... Pretty much every film I've seen from the Golden Age starts off with their title cards and their credits, and then it gets into the movie. This is the first one I've seen where it starts off with the actors doing what they're doing, singing and dancing. In, in the rain. Yeah. With their, in their bright, is it raining? It is raining. Yeah. It, sh- it shows us that this is going to be a different film from all these other films that have been coming out. It's going to be more upbeat and a joyous romp. Romp. A romp. It's going to be a good, fun romp. Is it? Is it? My, how they lied to us. Well, you've seen this film twice recently. I have so. seen it twice in the last few weeks. Thank you for reminding me. So I also enjoyed how we have Don, Gene Kelly, tell his story to the crowd in the next scene. Oh, I, I love that scene. Yeah, it's great, like, isn't it? I, I, I'm not sure what the first time I've rewatched it recently. I'm not sure really what I was expecting. Like, Obviously, it's a really old musical that's very highly regarded. And when I'm watching it and he starts telling this story, it took it actually took me a few sort of um, scenarios that he's talking about for me to realise, like, hang on. It's not what he's saying. Is he joking? Like, what you're seeing on on screen is not matching up with the stories he's telling. So I I really did like that they set it up as a comedy almost straight away in the first scene with Don's retelling of his rise to fame. Yeah, like when he says... And with him, I used to perform for all of mum and dad's society friends. Yet it's showing them tap dancing in a pool hall. Yeah, learnt music at a conservatory for fine arts and then cut yeah. to the two of them playing in a bar. Like, Yeah, and then when he says... They used to make such a fuss over me. It's actually just them getting kicked out of the, out of the, out of the place. <laughs> yeah, I thought it was great. And always dignity, dignity, dignity. <laughs> <laughs> no, really, really good scene. I like the camera work they do here too. It's uh, specifically when they they zoom in from the outside of the window into them doing the tap dancing in the pool hall gives the kind of effect that we're actually spying into the re- into his actual real world mm. behind Don's lie, basically. Yeah, behind the, the yeah. Hollywood stretching of the truth that yeah, happens exactly. so often. And the tracking shot you get when you see them getting kicked out, it's like we're just we're still just watching them, mm. like we're watching from the outside. And this this is obviously a, a satirization of Hollywood and how actors and actresses, they put on these facades for their fans and audiences, probably still plays now to the Hollywood of 2018. Like, they, they, cover, they, they don't give oh, out... Oh, of course it yeah. does. And they put on this bright, these happy faces and they tell all these stories. And, it, you know, obviously most of it's going to be a whole bunch of bullshit. 
So it's in this montage that we actually get the first real song, bar the opening little shindig that they yeah. did. The Fit as a Fiddle and Ready for Love song. Fit as a fiddle and ready for love. I can jump over the moon up above. Fit as a fiddle and ready for love. What do you think of that one? I don't like it. You don't like it? I Why? don't like it at all, to be honest. Did you not like the choreography they had with the violins? But. Ah. <laughs> I don't like it, but. The choreography really showcases their talents. Yeah. Their violin skills are Vi- insane. Viol- violin skill? Violining? Well, why are you picking on a sick person? What's wrong with you? <laughs> I'm going to take every I'm every doing my I best. <laughs> now, their violin skills... I did say that right. Their violin skills are pretty insane. Like, yeah. I imagine that, obviously, the the what we're watching on screen is not... We're not hearing the actual music... But it still, was, it still sounds like it's, like, it's, like it's actually there. It lines up. Yeah. It lines up beautifully. Yeah. Like, the tricks and gimmicks they're doing, like flicking the bow under their yeah. legs, playing over their heads, playing each other's instruments. Like, they were doing anything they could. This would have taken so long to, oh. yeah, to rehearse. It, but the thing with a lot of great talented people is when they do these crazy things, they make it look so easy, though. Yeah. They're not struggling and almost... Everything is just smooth, natural... Brilliant, but yeah, you know that it would have taken so many takes to get that right. Definitely, yeah, the songs and the music. So, just to clarify, shit song, but I appreciate the <laughs> choreography. Yeah, so the songs and musical choreography in this in this musical, this movie, is actually, it's quite astounding. The songs are astounding? Some of them are, some of them are, we'll get to them. But, and it's, ultimately, it's the highlight of this film, because did you know that the script was actually written after the songs? So the writers had to generate a plot into where the songs would fit. I did know that. You did know that. That's one of the worst things about the movie. They have written a plot after having all these songs and are just trying to stitch them all together. Yeah, this movie plot, This movie is light, very light on plot, I must it, say. The, so many... We'll get to it. We'll yeah, yeah. To I, it. There's I've issues... Got... I have issues with the way that they made this movie, starting with all the songs and then working a plot into it. Well, let me talk about something that I have an issue with, and that's the character of Alina. Holy shit. She is so eye-gougingly annoying. I know, and I really, I did really struggle with this character, Twice. Lena. Because both times I watched it, I thought the exact same thing. Like, she is so annoying. Yeah. But. It's the purpose. She's meant to be yeah, annoying. Yeah, obviously it's the purpose. But it's it's hammered in so hard throughout the film that it, it really detracts from my enjoyment of this film. And it's not only that, it's that she's, she really is supposed to be this stupid and delusional person. But we're supposed to believe that she's this somewhat mastermind when it comes to blackmailing the studio later on? Like, okay, but then straight after that, she does some dumb shit again and just goes and walks out and speaks to the audience in her stupid voice. Yeah. It's like she has this quick little peek of brilliance. Even even her masterminding, as you put it, the studio, she says that um, her lawyers or whatever told her to do this. That's not her idea. She's just acting from on someone else's Then um, they should have had her walk in advice. with the lawyers and have them say it. The thing I hate so much about this is that we talk about seeing Gene Kelly and Donald o- O'Connor doing their dance before. It's so effortless. Her trying to act in this movie reminds me of someone in like a drama school trying to act. Like she is so... You can just see her overdoing every little thing. Every little gesture you can tell is just planned to try and emphasize the little feeling she's having. And it's really, really hard to watch. And what makes it even worse is that Gene Kelly is superb in this movie. He is. 
and she stands out so much next to him. But do you think that's her character? Like, she's this no, I dramatic get, I, I get over-actor. She, and... I get that she's dramatic and overacting, but I just think her acting in this is terrible. I would love... Okay, maybe I wouldn't, but I wouldn't mind seeing her in another movie and seeing what she's like. Because this performance from this actress... Jean Hagen. Jean Hagen, of course. Jean Hagen. <laughs> it's really bad. Jean Hagen. That's her name. And Jean Kelly. Yeah. Jean Kelly, G-E-N-E, and Jean Hagen, so J-E-A-N. Like Jean Grey and Jean Hackman. That's really... That's a really quick pull. That was good. I like that. Oh, I don't mind a quick pull. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's the explicit tag. <laughs> so, this film is set in 1927. Of course. Yep. And I love the idea of this film taking the route of the transition from silent films to the talkies, as you said, and treats them... Not as I said, it's what they have. You said it in the plot summary. Yes, they... they, they It was a good plot summary. Yeah, it was riveting. And and they treat it like a real-life situation with the inclusion of the real real movie, The Jazz Singer. They actually talk about that movie and how it was the first talkie. Mm. Yeah. And I think that it plays well with what's actually happening at the time in 1952 as well, with the introduction to television as well at that you know that's what was happening back then and how people going out to the cinema started to actually lower at that point because they had something to do at home which is also how it's kind of happening now as well with the arrival of streaming services like netflix and hulu and that and video on demand and with this ever-rising cost to actually go out to the movies now like you were like you were because of the inflation yeah of course of course People like are moving further away from a cinema experience. So even though there's ultimately very little plot to this film, what there was was prevalent in the time it was set, the time it was made, and the time we watch it today. So let's talk about Debbie Reynolds here for a sec, because you know that she was I only I saw 19. her recently in Bright Lights. You did see her recently in Bright Lights. You love that film, Doco, whatever it was. So she was actually only 19 when uh, she was cast in this film. She was living with her parents at the time, and she commuted back and forth to the set every day. She had to wake up at a very brisk 4am in the morning, I think I know what that's like, and had to ride three different buses to get to the studio. Do you know what that's like? No, I don't know what that's like. So sometimes, to avoid the commute, she would just sleep on the set. Really? Yeah. I wonder what time they finished recording each day. I guess it would vary from day to day. That's a long day though, isn't it? Yeah. I guess. Price of fame. It's a tough life, being an actor. So, back on Debbie Reynolds. So, obviously, she's playing uh, Kathy here. And we're first introduced to her when Don is... Leaps off a bus. Leaps off a bus. I wonder wonder if that was him as the uh, stump man that he was playing in the movie. He leaps off the bus and jumps into her car. And the banter here, I must say, is fantastic. Uh, Yeah, I I very much agree there. Like, they're little back and forth. And they're like... They're like... They're verbal stouch, like they're sort of putting each other down a peg. Especially Kathy putting down Don. Oh yeah, like he, massively. He starts off as his as his hotshot actor, like, like coming you know on to her, am, you know, coming like, on to her. And then when she's like, no, "I don't know who you are," yeah. he just can see like you, like he doesn't want anything to do with it. Like, how dare you not know who I am? Yeah, and this is actually excellent. Oh, okay, yeah, fair enough. Yeah, fear not, sweet lady. I will not molest you. I am but a humble jester. And you are far too above me. I love it. When he started quoting Shakespeare after she said she'd been on the plays and doing the Shakespeare stuff, and he quotes this saying he won't molest, I just thought it was gone. I was laughing. And, uh, yeah, I just think it's so funny. It really encapsulates their relationship at this stage. It's a really healthy back and forth, debating the merits of a movie actor versus a screen actress. And when you combine this 
which is my favourite scene. And with that great opening of the, you know, sort of setting up expectation versus reality into what he was doing, um, you know, the glamorous life versus what he was actually doing, I just, I think this is a great start to a movie. Yeah, I, I completely agree. One thing that did annoy me past this scene, people keep looking directly at the camera throughout this movie. Did you notice this? Oh, I didn't. It, it happens all the time. And I was, was it tr- not like was it? It wasn't like ironically when someone says something stupid, I like break the fourth wall to look at the camera. Like really, you look at this guy. I don't was know. It, was it that? I don't think so. I guess uh, yeah. I guess it wasn't a big deal back then, but it wasn't an accident though. And I just thought I thought I'd bring it up because it was very, it got very jarring. And once once I realised it the first time, I kept saying it. It was really annoying. Anyway, now we get on to the second song, which is "All I Do Is Dream of You." All I do. Kathy and the girls in pink at the party. Yeah, I didn't like this song. It was no good. <laughs> um, hold on, if you've got a minute, I might actually read my notes on this song. You got you got a sec? Yeah, I've got a minute, I guess. Hold on, you just took up all my time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I literally wrote, eh. Like, it's just, it's very average. Honestly, I didn't even write down any, like, I didn't even write down the name of the song. Yeah, so, second song, not as bad as the first one. Oh, sorry, actually. At least the first one had impressive choreography. This had nothing. So, I didn't like this. Anyway, now we're introduced to the new movie, The Drooling Cavalier, and we're hit with, on set of this movie, the third song. Make them laugh, make them laugh. Don't you know everyone wants to laugh? Yeah, make them laugh. So, um, I, think it's a, I think it's a great song here. What do you think of it? Relatively funny, but it went on a bit too long for me. You think? Yeah, I, I mean, it's non-stop slapstick. That's, that's I'm not. The song. I'm not saying that like negatively. Like it's, it's non-stop slapstick, and it just. I felt it got a bit, eh. Like it just. I don't want to say eh too much in this review, but it just. It it got a bit boring when you're just seeing, like, no, nah, maybe hurting himself is the wrong way, but just. I think it was quite impressive the things that he oh, was it's doing. Imp- it's impressive. Like, did you notice him? I'm sure you did. Running in a circle while laying down. Yeah. Is that like? Did Simpsons rip that off? They might. Maybe. Like, like, is that was that a common move that was done back then? I don't know, but it's yeah, I don't know if they invented it or not. But um, I saw that and did laugh. He's very rubber face as well. Like when he's moving his his mouth and his nose at that. At those yeah, points a as lot, well. of, a lot of physical comedy. Yeah. Donald Donald kind of gives his absolute all here. Yeah, you can tell he gave it his all here because Gene Kelly asked him to do the run up the wall and finish with a somersault. But Donald O'Connor actually smoked four packs of cigarettes a day at that time, and. After this was done, he ended up in hospital for a week after its completion because he was so physically exhausted and got painful, painful carpet burns as well. Yeah, I guess at least he could he could lay in the hospital knowing he'd never have to do it again, though. Uh, that's incorrect, Dean, because unfortunately, no one checked the aperture of the camera and they fogged out all the film. So after a brief little stint, O'Connor agreed to do it all over again. Yeah, that, what that, a trooper. Yeah, no, he did really, really well. And you can tell, like... Well, you can tell... You can't tell how much he would have been hating it. Oh, but yeah. you can see, like, the joy on his face. Like, he's so good. Yeah. And one thing I got from a lot of the dancers in this... Like, I may not enjoy some of them. Most of them. But everyone who dances here has a beautiful, large, gorgeous smile. And they look like they're having a lot of fun, which is really good. Well, you'd want to... You'd expect that in... A musical. This is this is vibrant and happy. There's there's very little sadness in this film. Yeah, no, you're right. There is very little sadness. 
I actually found one of the scenes in, at about this time pretty funny. It's when they're they're filming the silent film still, so they know their voices aren't getting recorded, and they're verbally abusing each other. Yeah, what what does he call her? Oh. Does he call her a, you you reptile or yeah. you snake or something? Believe me, I don't like her half as much as I hate you, you reptile. And because she's talking about how she's going to ruin Kathy for what she did when she yeah. threw the pie in her face. Yeah. And yeah, I thought it was great how if you were just watching a silent film on the screen, you wouldn't know what they're actually saying. And the, you know, the, the, the text comes up when they're talking. Okay, now we get the fourth song. Beautiful girl. Beautiful girl. You're a lovely picture. Beautiful girl. You're this... Uh, is when uh, you got a bit worried when you were watching this movie, like, what this am I watching like, now? This is when I was starting to think, should, can I, can I skip this, please? Well, this isn't even the worst song. Uh, it's not. Trust me. I don't. Know. I did not skip this song on the second viewing. There is a song I did skip. I did not skip this song. I think I know which one it is actually. But this is terrible. This. Oh is yeah. I, to me, this, I didn't. I didn't like. This. I. I you get this montage of all these different dancers dancing in different scenarios. Why? Like, how does this advance the story at all? They're not even pretending to be relevant here. This is an absolute waste of time. The definition of filler song. So we've had four songs now, and one of them I liked. Two of them I really didn't like, and one I appreciated choreography. This is not a good sign. I must say, for a, for a movie you that... Was, you were so strong at the start. You were so hyped. Oh, I'm, I'm hyped. Get hyped. But I just... This... Yeah, these first four songs, Make Them Laugh is good. The other three, really bad so far. See, this, I think this one is the very, the first one that I, that I really just... Either I couldn't stand it or I couldn't be bothered watching it. The All I Do, I Dream With You song, it, I think it, it was pretty short, actually, compared, yeah. to something, compared to Beautiful Girl. It is so, short, and it's relevant. Like yeah. you've got, so I didn't mind you've it. got like the it, main yeah. female lead. She's oh, she's been surprised because the the main lead is there, and there's all this chemistry between them as she's doing the song. At least it was relevant to the story. Yeah, this just completely takes you out of the story. Yeah, this is why I, I um, this is the low point of the film for me. If we had a least favorite scene, yeah, <laughs> the we get the sound effect, the wah wah wah. <laughs> this would be it for me. This one right here. Okay, well, it's not for me. Okay, something I want to talk about here. Probably my favourite aspect of this movie was the the relationship between Kathy and Don. Yeah, and their their romance blossoming and the you know the troubles that they could have gone through and all that. So we get to this point where Kathy is still angry with Don. She's really furious at him. She thinks that you know he's been you know stopping her from getting work yeah. and all this stuff. Like it's it's great. Like that's what you want. Okay, but then he wins her over, and she admits that she's seen she's seen lots of his films, and she reads the fan magazines about him. They really connect here. Forty minutes into this movie, and that's it. They are on cloud nine, and they never get off it. And I hate that. Except for a brief second. Oh, one second. <laughs> Literally one second. I just think that they really wasted an opportunity to actually explore this relationship more. And I think that I'll get into it later, but really like going with, here's a bunch of songs, make a plot. And then they just go, well, we've got to have the the guy and girl lead be together at this point. So let's just have them have a little scene of them fighting. And then bang, you're in, you're in just over half an hour and they're perfect. 
And this leads into the fifth song. Life was a song. You came along. Don sings to Callie about his deep, deep love for her. I mean, it's not a bad song. It's a, it's a slow ballad. That's okay. And at least this song is relevant to the plot. See, this is where, like, something like this scene in particular, this is where I feel La La Land got some inspiration from. Like, obviously, well, not obviously, like, La La Land is a much more superior film. But this is this scene that I saw here when, you know, he's... He's gradually setting up how they shoot a scene and they get the smoke going and she's on the ladder. and it yeah, felt, all, that, all that's good it, Hollywood stuff. It felt much like when they do the dance up in the, the mountains on the side of the road. That's sweeping. Yeah. Yeah, that's how I... That's what I saw when I saw this. I'm like, yeah, this is... I think that's where they might have got their inspiration from here. Can you see that? No, no. I can <laughs> see... No, I'm not saying that to argue with you. And I think that... I think that La La Land probably did borrow from... Like, I've seen... That I've seen a lot of things that La La Land has um, paid homage to, to put it nicely, um, from older musicals. And I'm sure it did get a lot from Singing in the Rain, or at least something. But I think maybe in La La Land, it was more when, even when they're in the observatory and they sort of fly around. Or even when they're running through all the film sets. All yeah. the different film sets. Like, at least, like, that's in ho- old Hollywood style sort of, yeah. sort of number. But, yeah, enough about La La Land. Uh, yeah, let's we'll, get we'll, back. We'll talk to La, We'll talk about La La Land eventually one day. Is that in the top two fifty? Yeah. Oh, yes. <laughs> so I think this is at the point where they're they're learning to speak properly. They're learning their diction because they're getting into the the talkies now. So they need to speak properly, and they get to this diction coach. I wrote is- dictation in my in my notes. <laughs> <coughs> yes, it is diction. And this is where we get this Moses supposes song. Moses supposes his toes are roses, but Moses supposes erroneously. I think it's catchy and it's good choreography again. Again, what does this have to do with anything? Uh, see, I don't mind this. I actually, this is one of the strongest Mind you, songs. they treat this coach guy like fucking shit. What did he do? They're, just, they're, they're physically abusing him as they're doing this song. That's a stretch. What? It's fun. It's a comedy. <laughs> of course, I'm not saying this makes it bad. I'm saying like, like I'm how sure about this he's poor okay bloke? now. This... <laughs> Maybe not. No, I thought that was, I thought it was just funny that they're casually singing this song and physically abusing him at the same time. Like this guy's just trying to help him speak properly. The tongue twisters that led up to this song are impossible. Oh yeah, like that. They're incredible. Obviously, this this dance number was majority or oh, not majority was a tap dance number yep and the tapping work on show here is extraordinary I must say like the, and again it's so effortless from these guys like Gene Kelly and Donald O'Connor are fantastic dancers so yeah this was one of my favourite songs in the movie Moses Supposes fair enough I can I can see it it's a great song I just did like after a little bit I'm like I'm, I'm starting to I'm starting to figure out what's why why is it here like, yeah, see, but again, like at least it's grounded in. Why is it here? Because they're trying to learn to speak to I, be in a talkie. That's why it's there. It's and they turn something like that into a song. That's what musicals do. Like it's, except for Beautiful Girl. Yeah. Hey, I'm not arguing that there are songs here that are completely irrelevant. I just don't think this is one of them. I think they actually fit this into the plot very nicely. Yep. Okay. Fair enough. So we are at this point where we have this scene where. They're finally shooting this talkie, and they've mm. got. They're getting. They have to get this microphone in the right oh. spot. What? 
It's so boring. You think this is boring? Oh, if you hit me with a favourite saying... Hit it! Excellent! Are you serious? I am dead set serious. This scene wow. of them trying to get the audio right for Lena, changing the position of the mic and the effects of what's happening to the audio, in fact, during the filming in general, was hilarious. I thought it was so funny when she moves her head back and forth and you hear it fading out and the director yeah. is gradually getting so much more frustrated. No, as you're right. And, oh, that reminds me. How funny was that bit where that guy walks in and he trips on the wire? And she and goes, then, And then the microphone comes up and she's like, oh, oh my God, I was in hysterics. That, that was, was so good. That was funny. That was funny. No, what really annoyed me with this scene is how you've got this room where the guys are recording it in and each time that he has to move the microphone, you go into the guy's room. The camera follows him out to Lena, then follows him back in. It just, it was so slow. I felt like the pacing of this scene could have really been sped up a bit. Did you actually know a microphone was hidden in Debbie Reynolds' blouse uh, in, some, in some of these scenes so her lines could be heard more clear? No, I wasn't paying that close attention Not to in Debbie this scene, but just Reynolds' in... blouse throughout this movie, you pervert. <laughs> this is a fact. <laughs> this is... I'm sure you know it very well. And actually, during one of the dance numbers, her heartbeat could be heard which mirrors what happened to Lena in this scene as well with the heartbeat. I think that's maybe where they got the idea from. Yeah. Hmm. So what do you think of the scene when they show the film for the first time and the audio is terrible and you hear the rattling of the necklace and the, and the film screws up? Yeah, it's pretty funny. I just didn't think it was as funny as the movie thought it was. Like it was, it was okay. Like you watch, oh yeah, that's funny. And they find all these different ways to make it really, really bad and... They have that, they add a sync when it's Lena talking yeah. with Gene's audio and vice versa. And yeah, it's it's fine. What did you think of it? Yeah, I thought it was pretty funny. I did laugh the one time I watched it. Okay. So they decided to have the new version of the now Dancing Cavalier where he hits his head and he ends up dreaming the whole thing. So do you think it would have been better if they... If end- it was more like Inception? No, if they ended the film... Yes. If they ended that film with a freeze-frame close-up of Don's face smiling at the camera. Why? Am I missing the joke here? Just like they did at the end of Once Upon a Time in America, when the whole thing's a dream. Ugh. Oh. Ay, ay, ay. God, <laughs> come on, turn it up. I'm not well. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> Tough crowd. <laughs> Seventh song here is Good Morning. Good morning. Good morning. Which is very well known. It's probably, yes. I'd probably say it's the second most well known song. Oh, make him laugh. Make him laugh. No, I think Good Morning. Good Morning. Good Morning's pretty iconic. What I was not a fan of. I mean, I was probably laughing at how bad it was, to be honest. The segue was a massive stretch. Did you pick up on this? No. Okay, so they've obviously got this Good Morning song, right? Yeah. And then you cue them at night, right? <laughs> oh, look, it's the 23rd. No, look at this calendar. No, look at the time. It's 1.30. It's actually the 24th. It's morning. What? Who says it's morning at 1.30 a.m.? <laughs> no, I didn't pick up on that. I was, I was, I was, you've got to be kidding me. <laughs> that's, that's the best they can do to get the way of the song. Like, why don't you just set it with... People like stumbling home. Maybe they've partied after their screener and they walk in and they go, Oh, gee, that was a big night, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. Oh, look at the time. It's it's 6.30 in the morning. Morning? 
<laughs> good morning. Good morning. I don't think that's any better. I think, I think that's much better than... <laughs> it still sounds so Oh, plain. it's the 23rd. No, look at the time. It's 1.30. It's the 24th. I think how they... No could, one cares what the date is. I, I think they could have done it better, whereas maybe they've been working so hard on the script and, and all their stuff for the movie, so, so they fall asleep. And then they all wake up, and it's such a happy day they got it done. Yeah, They're like, yeah, uh, yeah, what a beautiful morning. Okay, even that, that's better. Or two of them wake up, and one of them kicks the door in with some bagels. Good morning! I'm going to have to get <laughs> coffee and bagels. Yeah. So did you know that after they finished the, the good morning number, Debbie Reynolds had to be carried to her dressing room because she had burst some blood vessels in her feet. Yeah, she's, she's so good in this thing. Yeah. Her tapping to be able to keep up with um, yeah. Gene Kelly and Donald O'Connor, like, and I was I was watching that. Like I'm no dancing buddy expert, but I was I figure oh, I'm just gonna watch their feet. I'm gonna watch Debbie's feet competitive. They're all in unison. She's keeping up with them to a T, and uh, to stay stay with the likes of these guys is incredible for someone who hadn't danced before. She must have been dancing and having lessons non-stop. Yeah, absolutely, and even after all that work though. Gene Kelly ended up dubbing the sound of her feet as well as his own because that oh, was, really? that, that's usually what happened at the time. Was, all, the whole thing was dubbed. Oh, yeah. the magic shattered. Actually, the last shot with Don, Kathy, and Cosmo falling over the couch took 40 takes to film that, that final scene. Jesus. Yeah. Okay, next song. So I think we're into the, obviously, the most popular song. All of my notes are based around song. Like, first song, second song, third song, eighth song. That just shows how little plot this movie has. Anyway, but eight, just because there's no plot, like there, you've got like some really good songs, great choreography. I watch it for good the plot. chemistry as well. You can watch it for the plot. <laughs> if you watched it for the plot, you've you've done you haven't done the right job. So yeah, singing in the rain. It's a great musical number. Give us your best rendition. Nah. Wow, that was beautiful. <laughs> Obviously, yeah, hold on. I'll I'll do my best rendition. I'm singing in the rain. Just singing in the rain. What a glorious feeling. I'm happy again. That's all I know. That was uh that was something. That was something. <laughs> no, Dean actually sent me that. I Dean- sent that a week ago yeah. when we were about to do it and Hendo wouldn't believe me that I was ill, so I had to send that to him to uh yeah, show him how bad my voice was at that point. Uh anyway. Aside from that horrible rendition this is actually you know an obviously iconic and memorable song even if you haven't seen this movie you you know what this song is you have to know what this song is yeah i mean yeah. I, knew, I knew the song yeah i don't know and it's one of those things like, i have no idea where i knew it from yeah but you know it. you know singing in the rain what's great about the song as well especially within the film too is that it's showcasing how abundantly happy he is at this time. Yeah, yeah. Like that's what the song is. He's just on cloud nine at this point. He, he's at the peak at, at this point. He's, you know, Kathy's... He's Kelly. Yeah, Kathy is about to take over the audio dub for Lena. And then after this movie, she's going to take basically take over from Lena as the main actress. Every, everything's going perfect for him right at this time. He's got his girl. His movie's getting fixed, both plot-wise and audio-wise. This is, this is peak Don right here. Mm, yeah, Don, Gene Kelly's joy for life here yeah. is just on show. And honestly, it's it's infectious watching it. Yeah. Like, he is so happy. And he he was made to bring happiness to many people. And this scene is the perfect vehicle for that. Yeah, I completely agree. This is a very, very fun and happy and full of life film. Hmm. But did you know... 
Did you know? This scene actually took all day to set up. And at the time, Gene Kelly had a fever of 101, which is 38 degrees Celsius for us Australians. Do you know what we're meant to be? 36, I think. No, 37. I think 37. Yeah. But anything like, I think it's like yeah. one high oh, or lower, yeah. and that's it. You're toast. Yeah. yeah. So when, when they had it all set up, he's, he still insisted on doing a take, even though the starting and ending positions of the song were the only things like set up. So as you called him, the other guy, Stanley Donan, was ready to oh, send him other, home. Yep. He was going to send him home. So Gene basically ad-libbed most of this. It took one take. Really? This, this is shot one took take? one take. And it's obviously what you see on the, on the screen. Apparently the water was mixed with milk as well, but that turned out that turned out to be a myth. Everyone thought that for a long time, but the but the Stanley Donan denied it. Why would anyone think that? So it, so the rain would come up on the screen, so you could see the rain coming down. Okay. But it, it but apparently it was just great attention to detail and some uh, good use of lighting to get the the shots of the rain coming down. He's like a child when he gets in those big puddles, isn't he? Oh yeah, and he's kicking and splashing around. around like yeah. like these little kids would do. Like it's, it's really it's pretty brilliant. He even gets a tap dancing in the rain as well. Yeah, good times. Not like the movie, but good time. See, I uh, I don't know what to make of your opinion of this film because you've given some really really positive things to talk about so far, but you've also given some negative. But yet you're still talking about the film like it's shit. But you just said I've said all these positive things. But you st- you're giving off, you're giving like off you're giving off the opinion that you don't like this film. Giving off the opinion. Yeah. I never said I didn't like it until now. Oh. <laughs> I don't like this film. Nah, we'll get to that. So in this looping sequence here, we have Kathy dubbing the dialogue for Lena because of her horrid voice, obviously. However, Gene Hagen, who plays Lena, actually has a really good voice. So you have Gene dubbing Debbie Reynolds dubbing Gene Hagen. Are you telling me that the the singing we hear from Debbie Reynolds is actually Le- Lena's real voice? No. What I'm saying is this part here where where Kathy is dubbing for Lena, the yeah. voice that you hear for the dub is actually Gene Hagen. It's actually her real voice. That's literally what I just no, asked you. said you. the singing. The singing is a different person. Oh, is The singing is someone Reynolds? else. Really? Yes. The singing is done by another actress named Betty Noyers. That poor woman who apparently had a much richer singing voice than Debbie Reynolds. So, this movie is Hold acting on, so like the real life. This is what's happening in the film. It's like adaptation. Yes! Is this... So, is that all the Debbie Reynolds singing in all this movie? All the Debbie Reynolds singing is, is done, done by, by Betty. Debbie. Yeah. Mind blown. Yeah. Betty didn't pick that. <laughs> that's, that's actually crazy. I didn't know that. Yeah. It's like life imitating art. Imitating life. Yeah. It's deep when so you yep, think about all it. All these different levels... You didn't even think about. Who needs a plot when you've got so many levels? I would like one. (laughs) Just personally. (laughs) No, that's an unpopular opinion. So we're up to what song now? Ninth. The ninth song? Ninth song. The Broadway. Yep, the Uh, Gene Kelly Broadway song. Bring a frown to old Broadway. Now you got a clown on Broadway. It's uh, 13 minutes of absolute garbage. Seriously, this was painful to get Broadway through. Broadway melody. Hold on, I'm, I'm in the middle of something here. <laughs> a scene like this really hurt this movie for me. Like, massively destroyed this movie for me. It does absolutely nothing to advance the plot. It's truly irrelevant. The most recent watch of this movie for me, I skipped forward and missed absolutely nothing story-wise. And I timed how long this fucking song is. Do you know how long it goes for? 13, 13 minutes. 13 minutes, yeah. 
Are you kidding me? Yeah, I know. I mean, this I... was a slog to get through the first time. As soon as it came on the second, I was nope. Next. I mean, I know this. Nah, is... this is terrible. I know this There's is a no musical. way this is not the worst song in this thing. I mean, I know this is a musical, and I have enjoyed all the numbers to some degree so far, except for Beautiful Girl. But you're right. My God, this goes on forever. Oh. I mean, yeah, it looks great. It's very well choreographed. In oh, fact, it's this sequence... Gene Kelly's self-indulgent bullshit. This sequence took a month to rehearse, two weeks what to shoot, and cost $600,000, about a fifth of the budget. What? Yeah. And it's... But overall, it is it's just such overkill. And overall, it feels like just a really long way to go to set up for this punchline, for this joke. What do you think of it? I can't quite visualize it. I'll have to see it on film first. Because he says... It's, He's talking. He's talking about this scene. This is what's going to happen, and we see it. But at the end, because he's been describing it to this guy, he goes, "Oh, well, I don't. I can't really visualize it. We'll, we'll have to get it on." <laughs> <laughs> too, too long. Oh, please say it again, J.K. It was so good. <laughs> nah, it's terrible. Yeah. Terrible, guys. How can anyone sit through that and enjoy it? So we get to the premiere of the Dancing Cavalier. The premiere. The premiere. Yes, the we do. Premiere. Or premiere. 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 It's premiere. The premiere. I said it right just the, the premiere. The premiere. The premiere. 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 No, it's not premiere. <laughs> it's premiere. Premiere. I feel like I'm saying it worse every time. Premiere. Premium. Premium. Yes, we do get to the premiere. And uh, yeah, it goes over fantastically. And then Lena gets a bit on her high horse after it and yep. tells Don and Cosmo that she's going to force Kathy to be her voice indefinitely. And she insists on doing a speech. Dumb as fuck. Yeah. <laughs> like, you. I, that's what I don't get. She's super stupid the whole way through it. She's delusional about her relationship with Don, even though he's blatantly the whole time, we are not together, I don't like you, fuck off and leave me alone. Yeah, actually, can we jump back to when they first met? Yeah. He was so keen and so eager to speak to her. And she brushes him off. She gives him one small little dirty look, and that... She's dead to him now. Like, way to hold a grudge, mate. Like, seriously, what she did was not that bad. She was like, eh, you know. I think it might have been the voice too. Maybe I'm a bit tired at the moment. Yeah, I'm sorry. You know, yeah, don't have time for you. And then, oh, nah, you want to talk to me now? No way, missy. Oh, no. I think she overreacted. He overreacted. Anyway, so we get another rendition. Our third rendition of Singing in the Rain, mind you. Well, why not? Why not? (laughs) Because we uh, haven't heard it enough. Maybe that's why it's so well known. <laughs> because it plays three different times. Every time times. you watch it once, you hear it three times. Does it play a fourth time at Ooh, the end? Oh, I wonder if it does on the <laughs> credits. It probably does. Maybe. Yeah, I didn't mind how it ended, how she gets her comeuppance, but, like, why do you have to be so fucking stupid? Yeah, <laughs> she just, can't help herself. Yeah. And, yeah, like, the quick, tur- the, the quick turnaround and the turnaround again of how... Kathy wants nothing to do with Don. Oh, that's stupid. He says that one thing, and then, but then it's all good again, like a couple of seconds later, because he, you know, he tells everyone that, that she's sing. the one. They have the tenth song. It's brief, but it's there. He, oh. si- he sings to her. Isn't she the- sings back. They kiss in front of the new movie poster with Don and Kathy on the poster. Happy, happy ending. The end. Yeah, you didn't happen to rank the songs, did you? <laughs> no, I no, did not. I didn't either. So why don't we just get into any last words? Dean, kick it off, mate. What what do you got to say? All right, final thoughts. The positives. Let's get them out of the way. Gene Kelly is a master in this movie. 
He's charismatic. He's charming. He's magnetic. He plays a Hollywood movie star so beautifully. It's easy to think he's barely acting at all, which is the mark of great acting. But it's not only the acting from the leads that it's effortless. It's also the musical performances, as we've said. The choreography is executed so well, and the huge beaming smiles of all the dancers whilst they're performing is dazzling. That's it. All right, now to the negatives. There are too many musical numbers and not enough plot. You can tell that the story has been fitted around the music, and in some cases the musical numbers feel so shoehorned in, it really takes you out of the movie. As I've said, the 13-minute Broadway disaster song is a joke and hurts the film immeasurably. It slows down the entire third act and takes the focus away from the plot. Lastly, the romance between the leads is so easy. Apart from the initial first meeting where they squabble, which was fantastic, they never really have any conflict. The banter between them is great and it's such a waste that their romance wasn't explored further and was should have been the central point of the plot. I found Singing in the Rain to have some fun elements to it, but ultimately it's monstrously overrated. Would you watch it again? No. No, you wouldn't watch it again? No, I would never watch this movie again. Would you tell people to watch it for the first time? No. No? Why, why would I? What do you get out of it? If you want to watch a great Hollywood musical, watch La La Land. It's fantastic. And you know what they focused on? The bloody romance. It was beautiful. This is yeah, this is not great. If you want to watch a movie that studies the um the transformation in Hollywood between the silent era to the talkies, watch The Artist. A far superior film to this. I think you're having a bit of a stretch there with uh, the theme of transitioning. I think this does it much better. Anyway, my thoughts. Well you were wrong. <laughs> So this is the second time I've watched this film now. The first time was a while back. I thought it was an absolute blast when I watched it the first time. On a second viewing with a more keener eye, though, it's still a blast, just not as big as what I initially thought. Yeah, the story is very light on plot, but that's only one element of the film. There are plenty of great films out there that have little to no plot. Name three. Mad Max Fury Road, Big Lebowski... Big Lebowski has a plot. Jeff Bridges plays Lebowski. He's laid back, easygoing, he's burnout. He insists on being called the dude. However, he gets mistaken for a millionaire with the same name. Shit goes down and he gets his Persian rug stolen. Yeah. There's gangs, there's drugs, there's people that get beat up, there's bowling. There's that's, plot. That's that not movie plot. Has, How is that plot? That movie has plot. How can you say that movie doesn't have a plot? I said very little to no plot. No plot. Uh, What's the third one? Garden State. Yes. Uh, right, no, moving on. I've and, only seen it once. And like. this film makes up for a lack of plot with its charismatic performances from Gene Kelly, Debbie Reynolds, and Donald O'Connor. Their chemistry is alive whenever they're on screen and keep the film engaging. It's also a pretty solid comedy with some laugh-out-loud moments from some snappy jokes or character behavior. Most of the musical numbers are fun. They're incredibly well choreographed and dazzling. It does misstep in some numbers, most notably Beautiful Girl and, as you called it, the Broadway Disaster, so it falters there for me, but not as much as the egregiously annoying character of Lena Lamont, who luckily has just the right amount of screen time before she sent this film into a generally negative review. But overall, this film holds up for me from when it was released over 60 years ago. It's colourful, it's vibrant, oh, it's, it's joyful, colorful. it's lighthearted. It's a movie I would watch again, and I would recommend people to watch too. I was the best because the crowd loved me. Dean, do we bother with you? You should always bother with me. Where's it sitting? It's last. It's worse than... I put Wild Tales above Vertigo, didn't I? You did. Yeah, it's worse than Vertigo for sure. Easily. 
What about you? Oh, I mean, it's, surely it's your last. It's worse than Vertigo. It's better than Wild Tales. Really? Yep. Nah, bullshit. You're only saying that because it's this ultra-famous, popular, critically acclaimed movie. And you you put be- both of these movies in front of me again, I'm going to watch Singing in the Rain before Wild Tales. Why do you hate Wild Tales? I don't much? hate Wild Tales. I don't hate any of these films. I would tell everyone to go watch all seven of these films we've watched so far. Spoiler alert for this whole list, there's not many of these films that I think are terrible. I'd say out of the hun- uh, t- sorry, uh, 240 of these films I've seen, I'm probably going to say that 20 to 25 of these are really bad, or at least not recommendable. So, I don't know. I, there's a reason why all these movies are, are in this list, this top 250 list, this highly regarded, highly rated film list, because generally speaking, they're all good. Is this the only film that you wouldn't recommend now? Like, this is your first non-recommend? Yeah, I'd recommend Wild Tales. Oh, Vertigo. That was my last one. Oh, Vertigo. Yeah. Okay, fair yeah. enough. Vertigo's good. We may still have mail. Mail, mail, mail. Here it is. And this oh. could be it. Oh! All right, we've got three reviews here from listeners. We've got one from Chris on Letterboxd. He says, I've never been a big fan of musicals, but I found this film to be very enjoyable. The chemistry between Gene Kelly, Donald O'Connor, and Debbie Reynolds is electric. I couldn't help but tap my feet during many of the songs. When I go through a period of being down, I think I'll put this film on to cheer me up. It is pure cinema joy. Thanks for that, Chris. We've also got another Chris. Our friend Chris. This was my first time seeing Singing in the Rain. Really? Be- yeah. That's what he I said. I wonder if he knew the songs. And to be honest, I was a little hesitant going in. Being an older film and a musical, I wasn't sure what I would think of it. I didn't know anything about the film other than the titular song. I have to say that I had such a good time with this film. The musical numbers were highly enjoyable and overall performances were great, particularly Donald O'Connor. The story was really interesting too, especially for its time. I would recommend anyone who hasn't seen this to check this out. It's well worth a watch. Thanks for that, Brothers. Brothers also sent us an email question. Brothers also sent us a question on Twitter asking us who we thought would be best to helm next James Bond film. And we did start thinking about it, but then I think it was like either the next day or the day after, the news broke that Danny Boyle was going to be the new director for James Bond. So I guess that answered our question, because mm. I was totally going to pick Danny Boyle. Yeah, me too. Yeah, me too. Yeah, so, yeah. Uh, he's, uh, he's a great choice. Oh, yeah. I'm, I'm a big fan of that choice. It's going to be interesting to see what he does. I wonder who Bond will be. <laughs> Is it going to be Craig? It's Daniel Craig. Still? Yes. I swear I read years ago he didn't want to do it anymore. I think they all say that all the time. I think Connery said he wasn't going to do it again. He came back for Dumbers Forever. And he came back like 15 years later for Never Say Never Again. They all say it's their last time. It's gone. No, it's back. Oh. Idris Elba should be the next Bond. Yeah. We don't like him. No, I didn't say that. (laughs) (laughs) I thought you were talking about my Moonraker poster. Is it gone? Yeah. Okay, let's talk about your posters here, because you've you've had a bit of a change up to the uh, the old studio, haven't you? Yes, I have. You've gone from three ridiculous posters. Was it three or four? Uh, you had Blade Runner twenty forty nine. No, ten- no, no, no. I had Moonraker up there, and yeah. then I had Blade Runner. Yeah, and I had Terminator two in three D. In three D, of course. So I do have the Blade Runner and the Terminator two up there still. You've added about fifteen posters to it, but you've taken away Moonraker. Yep, I. Decided I preferred to put up War for the Planet of the Apes. Oh, was that on the other side? It was. Why would you ever have picked Moonraker? Because it was an old school Bond poster. God. No, I I do like your posters. There's one movie here I probably don't like. I'm guessing that's Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas. Yeah. Have you seen it? Yes, I have seen it and I like it. Really? We've we've had this discussion before about this particular movie. Yeah, I I didn't like it. Anyway. 
Oh, so you're not going to comment on all the good posters that are up there now? I mean, good posters. You've got the... Uh, the Star Wars original trilogy? The original Star Wars trilogy. The Dark Knight trilogy? The Nolan trilogy. Baby Driver? Big Lebowski? See, the Baby Driver poster's not very good. We've got Jaws. I know you hate Jaws, but I love Jaws. We've got a couple of Marvels up here. We've got Spider-Man Homecoming, Thor Ragnarok, Black Panther, Wonder Woman. That's not Marvel, but you know. We've got Blade Runner still up here. We also have Blade Runner 2049 right next to it. You have six Harrison Ford movie And next posters. to that, we have Raiders of the Lost Ark. Uh, <laughs> I, only, I realized as soon as I put them off, I'm like, man, I feel like I have a Harrison Ford fetish. <laughs> and we've got It and Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas and Coco as well. And I've, all, I've got these other posters here that oh. I just, I don't think, I don't feel comfortable putting up because they're not great. Like, okay. They're not my favorite films, so... Uh, Dean, you can take them if you want. This one is uh, Justice League and Suicide Squad. I think I know what you'll be choosing there. You can have that one. I don't want it. And it's not so much that I don't want it, but it, I just don't know where to put it. I also have here Star Wars Episode One: The Phantom Menace. I don't know Menace. where to put it. You literally have perfect squares in all these posters, and there's one giant poster-sized gap on your wall, and you don't know where to put it. Yeah, I'm saving it for something else. I also have The Last Jedi No, here. don't put The Last Jedi. Put and I know up that, Episode 1. I know that The Last episode Jedi... Episode 1 poster is iconic. The Last Jedi and uh, Justice League were two of your favourite films from last year, so you can have these, my friend. Also, I have this other one here that I don't know what to do with it. I have Stranger Things Season 2. <laughs> oh, I mean, I haven't and seen Jigsaw. it. And <laughs> Jigsaw. Jesus. Burn it. I think burning it's probably the right thing. Yeah, it's not the best poster choices. Yeah, I might put that at the uh, the bottom of the door behind it, <laughs> like a cat door. Anyway, let's move on to a review from Dean's brother Shane. I wonder if you'll like this old musical. Well, why don't you read it out for us then? <clears throat> I shall. Well, I don't envy you guys this week. How do you analyse a film with barely an outline for a story? Well said, Shane. Musicals can work as film adaptations, but this musical about musicals has such little substance to the plot and characters, it really casts the genre in a bad light. People love this film, but I never watched it before. Because it looked terrible, and now I've seen it, I can say it is terrible. I didn't hate the music numbers, didn't love them either. They were passable. As a film though, it is just so thin in the story and characters department that I couldn't care less about what was happening. The film's heroes are all superstars or rising superstars and the only common folk in the film do little more than stand around and cheer these stars on in awe. Basically, I thought it was kind of stupid. Not really sure what else to say. Even though I could sort of make sense of what was happening... There were so many dreams or flashbacks or whatever excuse to cut to the next fake dance jingle that I couldn't follow it as a natural progression. Pretty awful, to be honest. One and a half stars. Yeah, good review, Shane. I kind of agree with a lot of that. Most of it. Uh, yeah, thanks for that, Shane. That's going to do for the email. Oh, wait. Oh, oh we, just got a, we just got one in. This is from, this is from Daniel. Oh, hey. He's got, a good, he's got a good name. It says, hey, you two. I was listening to your Wild Tales podcast recently, and you two struck up a conversation about whether Pasternak was the pilot or not. Turns out if you Google cabin chief, which is what they say in the film, it says the cabin chief, or purser, is in charge of the cabin crew in a specific section of a larger aircraft or the whole aircraft itself, if the purser is the highest ranking. On board a larger aircraft, pursers assist the chief purser in managing the cabin. 
This is from the article about flight attendants, which is the top search result. So it turns out you're right, Daniel. Impressive work. You truly must have a lot of patience to podcast with such uneducated plebs. Thanks, Daniel. Such a fantastic email. Also have far too much time on your hands, clearly. So, oh, I guess... Um, Nothing like patting yourself on the back, is it? Hey, this, hey. Is, this is from our listener, Daniel. Oh, Seems like a, a top bloke. Is there any way to ban listeners? <laughs> <laughs> so, in saying, in talking about listeners, uh, we did put up a Twitter poll a couple of days ago asking what is your favourite song from Singing in the Rain? And we had three choices as well as a none of the above. And we had Make Them Laugh, Singing in the Rain, and for some reason, I don't know why I put this one in, I put in You Were Meant For Me instead of Good Morning. Should have been Good Morning. Yeah, I realised after when we started the podcast, I'm like, oh, I should have put Good Morning in. But it was You Were Meant For Me. And we got... And I was meant for you. I go about my business, uh, doing fine, I got a one way. There it is. Do you know that song? No, I just wanted to hear you sing it more. It's Jewel. I know it is. I wanted you to sing more. Huh. Get that lovely voice back. And we got a total of 27 <laughs> votes. And what do you think won? I mean, you're looking so smug. I feel like the massive obvious answer is oh, there singing. Oh, the, there wasn't any smugness here. Is, is singing in the rain. Oh, okay. So, none of the above got 0%. We got 7% for You Were Meant For Me. And a 48% to 44% vote. Make them laugh. Was the the number one choice there? That's yeah. really weird. We also got a reply from the Real Feels podcast saying, "Hands down, it's make him laugh. It's hilarious, catchy, and not to mention the actual dancing and stunts the man had to perform while singing it all. It's insane. Makes me miss a lot of what old Hollywood did way back then. True talent, and to think he was a heavy smoker too. As well as from the False Starts podcast, they said, "Make him laugh." O'Connor nearly died doing that, and the fact he was even able to, being he wasn't even super healthy, is amazing. But I've got a real soft spot for Moses Supposus. <laughs> <laughs> now, thanks for that, guys. So, what's next? Okay, it's time to find out what is going to be next week's... I'm nervous. Next week's <laughs> movie. Dean, hit that random number generator and let's see what we're going for. Oh, it's a high one. 79. Number 79. Come on. Which is... Your name. No way, really? <laughs> yeah, my number one film of 2017, Your Name. Wow. That's good. I'm happy with that one. You obviously that's know what good, I think. We, a... Actually, everyone knows what we think. We both had it in our top 10 for last year. Yeah. It's going to be a good podcast, I reckon. Yeah, there's a lot to get into with that movie. Yeah, this is going to be fun. It will be fun. Okay, that's good. I like it. I'm happy with that. Yeah. So if you'd like to put in a review for your name to us, you can email us at imdbjourney at gmail.com. And please, if you haven't seen your name, please watch it. It really is a great film, and I really want to know your feedback. Yeah. It's, it, it is, is criminally fantastic. underwatched, this film. Also, send us your tweets to at imdbjourney for any reviews or questions you would like answered on the show. We're now going to get into what else we've been watching over the last well, month, I guess. But that is going to do it for Singing in the Rain. So just an update for everyone here, this is going to be a spoiler-free section. We like to keep this area free of spoilers for anyone who hasn't seen these films. <laughs> anyone who hasn't seen these films, so if you know if we give it a, a good recommendation, people can go out and see them. Uh, also, with this section, a lot of these uh, movies that we're going to talk about, I actually have reviewed on 
my YouTube channel, My New Movie Minute. I thought I'd just bring it up here. I'm actually going to put that on the back burner for a little bit. Well, I, f I feel like with the minute, it is constricting and there is a lot more I like to talk about with some of these films. And I also like to talk to Dean about these films. And I also like to talk to Dean about... No, do it the first time. I also like to talk to Dean about this. <laughs> And not only that, but I also like to talk to Dean hold about on, these it films. Reminds, it reminds me of uh, <laughs> what's that George and Jerry, where he's talking about kill me, Jerry, kill me, Jerry, and they're emphasising different words. Never mind. Do you know the scene I'm talking about? No. Shall we move on? And not only that, but I also like to talk about these movies. They with fooled Dean. me, Jerry. They fooled me. They fooled me, Jerry. When they're doing the when he's trying to tell like this the, is still recording the TV show George. I had to do it. You know, you're saying they fooled me, Jerry. you got to say they fooled me, Jerry. Do you remember that? No. Oh. What are you even talking about? And I also like to talk to Dean about these films as well, whereas on the, on the channel, I'm only I'm talking to everyone with no reaction, basically. So uh, I'm going to push it back a little bit for now. Just focus a bit more on the podcast, because this is much more fun, to be honest. It is much more fun. <laughs> Especially for you. Yes. <laughs> So, uh, the way we're going to do the movies here now is we're going to do it in order from our least favourite to our favourite. Our not as least favourite. Yeah, exactly. That way, they're probably going to be the films that you remember the most from what we talk about here, is the ones that are at the end. And it gives this some sort of context as well, rather than just going from random movie to random movie. Mm. So, that being said, how many films did you see in this gap, Dean? Dean is counting down on his piece of paper. 6, 7, 28, 29, 30. 30. 30 on the dot. 30 films. I saw 28. Soft. Yeah. What were you doing? I was doing a YouTube channel. <laughs> All right, Dean, let's start at the bottom for you. What is your number 30 film that you saw in the last month? Uh, all right. The, my least favorite film is God's Own Country. Okay. Yeah, I did not like this movie at all. Yeah, I mean, I get, I get what it's about. It just didn't appeal to me at all. The story is so slow. It's so boring, and I know it's all new age, and yeah, I couldn't get into it. I felt, okay, let's put aside the fact that these are two guys. I felt the story was dull, was extremely dull, and all the farm life stuff, that is so boring. Really? Like, I'm sure it's okay if you're living on a farm, you're getting outside, you're working with the animals. I reckon that it would actually be... A pretty fun way to live your life, but watching someone walk around fields, it's so boring. And the the character who comes in, who is the love interest, Gorgi, has no personality. Yeah, that's my flaw with the film is that they didn't they didn't do anything with him. Yeah, it's funny because I know when you saw this film, um, one of the comments you made on it was that it makes you like. Call me by your name less. Yeah, it makes me want to lower my opinion. Of and it. it's so funny because when I saw this film, it actually made me want to uh, rate Call Me By Your Name a lot higher. Why? Because it made me realize, yeah, what well, you know, Call Me By Your Name wasn't that bad. Like when you think about, you know, it had a good message about life. The dad was great. That one scene at the end, or the couple of scenes at the end, were fantastic. There's nothing good in this film. I got oh. nothing positive from it at all. It was a struggle to get through. Yeah, look, the the film starts off a bit slow. A but, bit slow? But it's done so in an effective way, so it gives you time to involve yourself with these characters. And in particular, Johnny, the main character. 
with some brilliant acting by Josh O'Connor. Brilliant. Is yeah, he, uh, he completely engulfs you in his struggles and turmoil. In his grumpy teenage as he looks phase of to his maintain life. a struggling farm while caring for his sick father. Oh, as, cry me a river. And essentially the bitterness he has towards life and how closed off he is to everyone. And when Gorgie arrives, you see the relationship between these two Blossom. You start to feel very strongly for these two and how they're both bringing out the best in each other. What separates this from Call Me By Your Name is that these characters are far more relatable to me, in my opinion. It doesn't focus at all on sexual identity or politics. This is just about the characters. You find out that Johnny is gay, like, straight away. So this becomes more of a romance film and throw in an outstanding look at the process of farming, which you found boring, but I but thought it was no interesting. But there's no chemistry. The leads have no chemistry. I think they do. They don't. I think they do. It's not even an opinion. It's a fact. It's they not have a fact. no chemistry. It's not a fact. They both say hardly anything to themselves and you sort of you struggle to think how these guys are even communicating. That's the then all closed of a sudden, off. they'll be like all grumpy and stuff, then they'll have this sex scene. And then they're back to being all grumpy with each other. That's not how life works. <laughs> okay? It's not. <laughs> Look, you see it for one thing. I see it completely differently. You don't like this film at all. I have this higher up on this list as we get onto it. But, you know, we're obviously not going to agree on this film. That Let's let's just move on. I, I really enjoyed it. You didn't like it at all. That's fine. That, that, Are you sure? As you say, that's the beauty of film is that everyone can have their own opinion. <laughs> I do say that. You do say that a lot. Uh, all right. So because I've got a couple more, I'll go next again yep. before we start jumping around. Uh, my next one was Ferdinand. Um, obviously, this is a, a children's film and they don't shy away from that at all. It's so cliche. The characters are just... They're just the most basic shells of characters you can find. I mean, it's obviously aimed at young children, so I don't. I wasn't hating on it too much, but I swear to God, when those bloody horses yeah. started doing this ridiculous dance off, I just no, nah, I, I couldn't get, I couldn't get past it. I was like, this is a joke of a movie. How it got nominated for an Oscar <laughs> is unreal. Just because it's animated doesn't mean it has to get nominated. Okay, you can nominate other movies. Let Academy me, Awards. Let me rattle off two other films, two other animation films from from last year. Lego Batman movie didn't get nominated. You would obviously put that higher. Definitely. You didn't see Captain Underpants, but that was much better than Ferdinand and Boss Baby, and that didn't get a nod. It's yeah, it's yeah. this film is it's it's cute. It's all right, animated. It's, it's a finely animated film. A couple of good childish laughs, but that's pretty much it. Like, I just, there's not much else to say about this film. Really, for me, like you said, the horse dance off scene is just ridiculous. It's it is it's horrible. It's so bad. Yeah, it's um, yeah. I have not much to say about this. This is pretty low for me too. Yeah, it's terrible. All right, can we go to you now? Yeah, sure. My least favorite film that I watched recently was The Cloverfield Paradox. Ah, okay. Yeah, I actually didn't bother seeing that after all the terrible reviews. Yeah, this film was just a disaster. It makes no sense whatsoever. There's Plot holes after plot holes. All the scenes down on Earth just do nothing. There's every sci-fi cliche in the book I can think of. Things happen in the film for no reason. Get no explanation to why they happen. The characters don't act like real people. They react to situations that no one ever would. Like, there, there's, Google and Bartha Raw is the only good thing about this film. She, Her character is, is actually quite fleshed out, and she has a good story there. But that's... 
that doesn't save this film at all. This is a disaster of a film. This came out on Netflix recently. It, it just sprung up out of nowhere. They released this um, ad on at the Super Bowl saying, hey, new, Cla- no, new Cloverfield film. Uh, watch it tonight. Mm. And that feels kind of suspicious. Like, where's all the marketing before this? They just throw it on Netflix. Like, hey, you watch tonight. And it, everyone just watches it. They don't get a chance to hear what other people's opinions are, basically. Great marketing move. It, it, it worked well. And, but it's a suspi- it's a suspicious marketing tactic because ultimately the film is absolutely terrible and they avoid all that negativity before anyone gets a chance to go and see it. Mm. So yeah, good marketing tactic, but it's uh it's dodgy <laughs> for me. Fair enough. All right, what's your twenty eight? Okay, next for me is a twenty eighteen film I watched called Braven, starring Jason Momoa about a guy. Oh God, have I even heard of this? Have you not heard of it? I think you said, oh, I do remember you saying you were going to watch this. I had absolutely no idea what it was, and I still don't. Okay, it's about a guy who gets wrapped up in a... Hang on, do we really want to talk about the plot summaries for the movies we hate or don't recommend? Let's, let's make these ones brief. Okay, but okay, we'll make it brief. But you've, you've Jason Momoa is all big and tough, and he has to fight some people. He has to fight some. He gets <laughs> he gets stuck in the middle of a drug thing, and he has to protect his family. He's basically in a house, and he's surrounded by gangsters, if you will, who want to kill them. Pretty much. That's that's the plot, and it's pretty bad. Everyone's acting is pretty bad. Uh, oh, you know who was good in it? Stephen Lang. He was actually really good in this. Yeah. Everyone else is terrible. Um, it's cliche. It's predictable. It's not violent enough. And, like, the main part of the movie does not start for ages. Like, they should have started this thing where they're trapped in the house way, way sooner. There was no need to settle up all this garbage. They should have made a fun, violent action movie, and they went for some serious family drama, and they shouldn't have. Highly recommend to you, Hendo. <laughs> <laughs> Alright, so, on to my 27, and that is downsizing. Downsizing. I haven't seen that either. Don't. It's It's so boring. First half an hour is a good setup for what I thought could have been an interesting film, but after that, it just goes downhill so quickly. Like Matt Damon, he's he's not good in this film. His character is boring as all hell. He's dull, and the fact is, you spend the entire film with this guy. It's actually can I butt in? It's actually really odd because I would say Matt Damon would be one of the most likable and watchable people at the moment making films. Like I, I'm trying to think of like really bad Matt Damon films. I feel like every role that he's in, he's actually very good. Not in this one. I don't, I, I don't know if it's him or if it's just the character. It's probably just the character, but it's just it's so bland and it goes into this. It takes this tangent of. Talking about immigration. I'm sorry. Do we really need to get into the plots no, of these movies? No, it's, so... it's, a, it's a really bad film. Just <laughs> completely avoid it. Like, yeah, moving on. Moving on to my next movie, uh, Raw. Raw, okay. Raw. So Raw's an interesting film. Uh, it's a horror, and it's probably not like anything I've seen before, to be honest. it's I, get, I do give it points for originality. I really do. The acting in it is solid, but... I don't know, there's so many scenes in this movie that made me feel physically sick to watch. Like, even like the, it's not, even the stuff that sort of, it starts off with not as gross to really gross to really gross to unimaginably gross. But even the first thing of like a woman eating raw chicken, it's really hard to watch. Yeah. Like before, you know, spoiler alert, she likes eating people. Um, I probably shouldn't say that actually. Take that out. No, I think it's the... The story, the plot summary is basically that, that she starts to get a taste for the flesh. Okay. Then when she moves on from chicken into the more... Uh, delicacies. Delicacies of uh, the human... Anatomy. Anatomy. 
Um, it just gets really gross. The rave or party scenes, whatever you want to call them, I couldn't stand them. The lighting was terrible. I know they're at like a rave, but it's so hard to understand what's going on. And uh, yeah, it's. I'm sorry, but I don't watch movies to feel physically ill, so I didn't enjoy it. Um, points for originality, but it wasn't for me, this one. I can, uh, I can understand, though, how someone could watch this and really, really like it. It's just not for me. Yep, okay, fair enough. So my next film is Mute. This is uh, another Netflix film that just came out, done by Duncan Jones, who did Moon and Source Code. Which oh, wow. I, yeah. I love those movies. Yeah. I haven't it, said, what's it called? D- Mute. Oh, I'll have to go out and see this great movie from the director of Moon and Source Code. Anyway, yeah, Mute is kind of like a, I guess, a C-grade Blade Runner, Blade Runner 2049, if you will. Did you give it a C? Oh, I gave it less than a C. Did you give it the D? <laughs> Next. Okay. <laughs> I mean... The pacing of this film is bad. It's it's way too long. The editing and storytelling is horrible. Ma- like the main characters just disappear for like long periods of this film. The plot points in this film bog it down. There's no reason for Leo, the main character, to be mute. It, it just doesn't make any sense. Well, the it, movie's called mute. Yeah, but it does. It doesn't need to be. There's not. There's nothing in it for him. There's no reason for him to to be mute. It's stupid. Justin Theroux is in this film, Pro- and his character is the worst. There's no. There's no need for this character to be in the film. And he, he bogs down the, the two main characters in Alexander Skarsgård and Paul Rudd. And he, it's, man, I'm just telling you, I don't, I don't want to take too long on these shit films, but it's pointless. The last 15 minutes is so terrible and just contradicts everything you've just watched over the last two hours. It's too long. It's incoherent. It's boring. It's terrible. Just avoid it. I shall. Thank you for that recommendation to avoid it. My next film is... The follow-up to The Lobster, a movie I'm not a fan of. Uh, Killing of a Sacred Deer. So this one at least had a was grounded in a real-world reality. And I liked it more than The Lobster because of that. But the fact that these characters, every single character, talks like they have no emotion. Yeah. Like, who talks like that? What sort of style of filmmaking is this guy going for? Where, hey, you know how you watch a movie and you see the actors get all emotional? No, 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 let's cut. All emotion. Like, to be fair, there to is be some fair, emotional it must be fantastic points. to get a call from this director and be like, "Hey, do you want to be in my film?" Yes, easy money. Just deadpan every single line you've got, and you're laughing. To be but fair, no laughter there is though. Emotion. No laughter. There is humor in this film. There is emotion. I mean, it's killing of a sacred deer. I didn't like it. I got nothing more to say. Okay, well, I I, I liked it. I love the lobster. I think that this film is very interesting to say the least. It definitely has the same director traits that he gave in The Lobster. All the central characters are given no backstory like that one. They're just there for the moment at hand. There is humor in it. It is very dark and present towards the start, but it does disappear and become this intense, kind of uncomfortable and somewhat frightening experience, which brings up... Frightening? Yeah, it is a frightening experience. If that was to happen to you, you would have to make that choice. Is that not frightening? I fell asleep, probably. <laughs> no, I, I didn't fall asleep. I didn't. It does bring up some shocking moral dilemmas for some of the characters, which, if you are enjoying it, I guess, it would lead to you and thinking that. And Nicole Kidman's in it. Okay. She's terrible. <laughs> She's probably my most hated actress. I really... Actually, I watched Big Little Lies in the last couple of days, and that's fantastic. Nicole Kidman's really good in it. But other than that, she, she's really annoying in most roles she's in. Yeah, I guess... Hmm. Yeah, you know I, what her I, best role is? I think she's yeah, I think she's overrated. Chase Meridian. Oh Jesus! You superstar. All right, moving on. Yeah, this is an unnerving tale. It's it's got a great nerve wracking conclusion. 
I think it's I think it's a decent film. I enjoyed it. Okay. I'll put that in my recommend pile. Something I wouldn't recommend is another Netflix film, The Ritual. I haven't seen that either. Don't. Okay. All right. Um, my next film <laughs> is... Don't. <laughs> There's not really much good to say about this film for me. I, I, there was some uh, bit of good-looking cinematography at times, and I thought the start was really good, but the rest of it is really bad. The dialogue that these guys say, it's really poor. It feels fake. Like, people that were in this situation, they wouldn't be talking like these guys are. They make stupid cliche horror decisions that don't that only add to the plot and not because they're rationally thinking people shit like they're on they're taking the regular path but they want to take the shortcut so let's go through the this massive forest full of unknown shit and they go they're they're walking this path like directly where the compass is telling them to but all of a sudden oh they see this other path that's actually a path oh let's go this way now instead what like it's all this stuff is just stupid and the only likable character in this film is the main character Everyone else is unrelatable and unlikable. They're really just there to be killed off, I guess. There's not a whole lot that gets explained either. There's some really bad attempts at some jump scares. Overall, it's it's just a really bad film. Avoid that one too. Dean, moving on. Atomic Blonde was next for me. Okay. Uh, this is one of those movies where it's a spy movie and the whole movie is really, really dark and there's not a lot of action and there's so much talking about complicated spy stuff. So by the time that, oh, this person is with them, and now they're with them, and who's that? Oh, doesn't matter, they're gone. Like, nothing had an impact for me, because I just struggled to struggled to keep up with what was going on. And it's not like I was sitting on my phone the whole time. I was watching it. It was just so boring. Charlie's Theron is eh, in it. And there's this, oh, this allegedly great action scene in the hotel. I've seen it done better so many times before, namely in Old Boy, in Netflix's Daredevil. It was, uh, it was depressingly dull. All right, I enjoyed it, but I haven't watched that recently, so I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna bog it down by talking about it. Uh, one movie or documentary that I didn't like was another Netflix film. The Netflix are just on fire for this for 2018. It's called Seeing All Red. <laughs> Seeing All Red. Yeah. Yeah, I haven't seen that either. Don't. So I was kind of hoping that this film would be a little bit more of a look into the current cases of sexual assault from like Bill Cosby and Harvey Weinstein and that. But in the Me end, too. yeah, in the end, it's really just about Gloria Allred, this this famous women's rights attorney who, you know, she's always in the spotlight for her cases, and it's really just an, an ego inflation of her and how she's been in her life. And I didn't want to watch that. I don't care about this woman. I thought I was going to get something else, and it was completely different, and I didn't like it. My next movie, despite being low on this list, does take the title so far for me of greatest title of a movie for this year that I've seen. Okay. Okay, you ready? (laughs) Scooby-Doo and Batman, The Brave and The Bold. How good is that? I didn't know you were. I feel like you don't really ever need to watch the movie once you hear that title. Why did you then? Because it's got Batman in the title. (laughs) I love Batman. <laughs> yeah, listen, I mean, this is one, like, it's really low, but I, I had a bit of fun with it. Like, when you go going to watch a movie called that, you sort of can't have high expectations. It it brought the, the groups together very quickly. There was a shit ton of uh, villains from the Batman Rogue Gallery, which I always appreciate. It, like, it was, it was fun. It was a kid's movie. Scooby-Doo. 
and the gang are really annoying and the worst thing about it they should just have more batman but the story was surprisingly i mean complicated it's probably a bit generous but there was some meat to the story it wasn't just one note so i had a bit of fun with it and i didn't mind it i would recommend it if you're a super diehard batman or scooby well how many how many <laughs> scooby doo <laughs> diehard fans, diehard fans. <laughs> Uh, if you're a massive fan of Batman, like I am, go and watch it. You'll have some fun with it. But otherwise, it's yeah, it's a definite pass. Okay, I am totally going to pass on that one. My next film, which is still in the not recommend section, is another Netflix documentary. <laughs> it's called Take Your Pills. It's a, it's a it's a documentary about Adderall and other prescription stimulants becoming the defining drug of this generation, I guess, where the competition is ceaseless from school to the workforce, and everyone wants this performance edge. What is Adderall? Adderall is like a stimulant that keeps you focused. It's like the the drug from Limitless, only not as... Oh, is this is this a fake thing? No. Adderall's a real drug. It's like the drug from Limitless, only not and as... And it's a real drug. Not a- Will you listen to yourself? You just cut me off, you fuck. It's, Have you seen Limitless? It's like the drug from Limitless, just the not as powerful. The drug's powers are Limitless. <laughs> he didn't even listen to me. No, right, let's get this one out of the way. There's, I, I do love a lot of documentaries out there, but only if they have an interesting subject to show. And unfortunately, this isn't one of them. Because honestly, the first two thirds of this documentary is just random people telling us their stories of how these stimulant drugs help them get through some tough times by increasing their focus and attention to detail, among other perks. I honestly thought that this actually was an advertisement for Adderall. I was like, where is the, where's the negative? The first hour is just, how good is this drug? This, is, this helped me in all these different like ways. Limitless. This was rinse and repeat for the first hour until we get to the downfalls, which ultimately didn't hit home hard enough for me. I seriously couldn't tell by the end of it if they were saying these drugs were good or these drugs were bad. I, I think it completely missed a mark on what it was trying to tell us. There's one story in the downfall part of this documentary told by this businessman that really just sounded like there was a problem with his job and not the drug itself. It's it's not only got a confusing message, overall it's actually quite boring, which is ironic considering this is a film centered around drugs that boost your concentration. I couldn't even keep my attention on it. Maybe if I had some Adderall, I would have went... Would have, oh, uh, snap. Anyway, it's on Netflix. Don't watch it. It's bad. Okay. My Mayorowitz story. May Ma- the Mayorowitz stories. Hold on, I'll get it. I'll get it. Shh, don't rush me. Mayor May Mayorowitz. Mayorowitz stories. Um, new and selected. Oh, I missed that one. I only saw the new one. Moving on. Um, Mayorowitz stories is a Ben Stiller, Adam Sandler, and Dustin Hoffman-led film, and I didn't like it. I found it, I found it boring. I found like I guess they were going for I don't know like realistic family life, but some of the things that are going on are very unrealistic. It's there's scenes where characters break down for no reason. There's weird relationships throughout, and I guess the problem with the problem with it is that that's that's the meat of the movie. Like that's meant to be the draw and what you watch and enjoy, and I just it was bad. It was bad. Like, Ben Stiller, I didn't like. Adam Sandler was pretty good. And I thought that Dustin Hoffman's acting was really good, as always. Like, he's he's always very solid. But the character is so unlikable. I know he's meant to be, but, yeah, I didn't like it. Okay. I liked it. You liked it a lot, didn't you? Yeah, I guess. You gave it four stars? Yeah, I did. Yeah, you guess. You gave it heaps of stars. Yeah, so that's it for that movie. 
Yeah, so my next one was Ferdinand. We've already talked about that, Dean. Uh, Balco Experiment. This is another wasted opportunity movie, much like Braven. They just went for too much. They went for this massively dramatic thing. The problem is with this movie, so if you've never heard of it, it's they basically a large amount of people are stuck in a building and they're told they have to kill a certain number of people by a certain time, etc., etc., etc. It's like the Battle Royale in an office building. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Or the Hunger Games for you young adults. Yes. The problem with this movie is the characters make the worst decisions over and over and over and over again. There are so many times where they should just oh, they should just do something so bloody obvious. Pick up the only gun and kill the only person who's causing any trouble here. No, no, they don't. They'll just, you know, try and prevent them from doing something small again and again and again and again. It's just, yeah, you know what I'm talking about. You've seen it. It's just so... Uh, it, sh- it should have been so fun. And they did not try to be fun once. And the ending is so bad. <laughs> the ending is so, so bad. I don't know what they were th- like. Oh, that's so clever. So look at how clever we are. Nah, it's bad. I think it just got a recommend for me. Like, I think there was just enough there that I enjoyed it. How can you recommend that? It's so throwaway. It's, it's so a very, fa- very weak recommend. Like, yeah... It's this right. No, you can't right, have it's, no, it's you can't away, have weak good. recommend or not. Recommend is what? black or white. You either you recommend, s- either recommend it or you don't. Do you recommend this person watches There's a movie? Such thing as weak recommend and a strong recommend. No, it's black Hence, and white. Ratings: three stars, four stars, five stars. They're all recommends. Oh what, yeah. What do you what do you give Belco Experiment? Three. Three really? Yeah. Nah, three, that's way too it, high. three is a recommend. It is right on the cusp. Yeah. Nah. No good. So my next film, which is still in the not recommend, I have watched a lot of non recommends. We all did. Go around. The Death of Stalin. I didn't like it. I thought I didn't. I didn't even understand. Maybe it's because I didn't understand. I didn't know who half these people were. And when they they bring the names up at the start, and you're like, okay, there's all these Russian names. And then when it just gets into it, and they're talking about this, I'm like, okay, I, don't, I can't even remember no, who. They, I think who's most who. people don't know who these people are. But they're detracted from. I had no idea what was going on when they're talking. About, oh, this person is you know conspiring. It's this person. I'm like. Who? Who? Yeah. I don't know what's happening. And so, for me, I have to rely on the comedy of this film, which... Which is barely there. Yeah, and it's like... It's so... It's so dark humour. Like, they're cracking jokes while they're shooting people in the head and that. And I'm like, I don't know if I should be laughing at this or turning away from it. Like, overall, it, it felt icky to me. And I icky. I didn't enjoy it. I... Ugh, no. Yeah, I understand I, people like it for the for the dark, dry wit humor that they have, and and the joke. Steve Buscemi and Jeffrey Tambor, yeah, they're pretty funny. Steve yeah. Buscemi is the only reason that I could. Okay, get so you say Buscemi and I say Buscemi. Yeah, I know. Yeah, I'll, I think we'll just stick to that. Yeah, Steve Buscemi. He, um, I really like Steve Buscemi, but this, yeah, it's as you say, it's so boring. Did you say that? If I didn't, I agree. It's really boring. It's hard to follow. I watched it with my wife, and we were just watching it like, what is going on here? Yeah. Like, and I looked up, because I wasn't sure how accurate this movie was to real life. I looked it up after, and I think it's pretty accurate to what was happening. It's just told as, my God, imagine if these people were really these buffoons behind closed doors. And yeah, it, it didn't do anything for me. Yeah. All right. What's your next one? Uh, next one is The Greatest Showman. Is it still in your not recommend? Yeah, I don't recommend Greatest Showman. Okay. Hugh Jackman is Hugh Jackman, as always, except for Logan, which he's awesome in. Um, Greatest Showman. Yeah, the songs are bad. Like, they're they're all bad. Like, my wife loves this movie. She plays the soundtrack in the car. Don't worry, I'll quickly turn it off. But (laughs) 
It's not, yeah. The songs are bad. The story is bad. Zach Efron's bad. The character arcs are unbelievable. And who's a villain in this movie? It's almost at one point, it's almost like Hugh Jackman at one point, but he's not really because he's Hugh Jackman and he's so bloody likable to everyone. Yeah, it's very thin, thin plot. Pass. Fair enough. Here's another one you can Have pass Have you seen on. it? No, I haven't. Oh. And I've been getting heckled by our friend Georgia to watch it because she bloody loves it, apparently. She's still harping on about, watch it, watch it. I'm like, I don't, I don't want to. Sorry, Georgia, I really don't want to. It's just, I just don't, don't not have no interest in it. Another movie that's not good is Wonderstruck. I uh, watched that recently and it's, it's, it's a, too much of a slow burn. Like, the, the, you obviously know there's going to be some sort of connection between the two lead children over the course of the film, but it just got a bit too much with this back and forth shots of them being in the same spot in you know the different eras and oh how mystical is this and obviously it's going for this mysterious kind of vibe, but it's it like it's way too in your face and it didn't pay off in the end for me. Yeah, I just felt like it was a waste of time. I I didn't like it enough to recommend, and I'd prefer you to skip it. Mm. Okay, my next movie was Death of Stalin, so back to you. Okay, my next one was Pitch Perfect 3. I don't even know why I watched this film, to be honest. I didn't like the first two. I have some idea why you watched it. I do have a wife. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> and to be fair, like, I'll I'll sit down and watch any movie, to be honest. Like, if, if I sit down with my wife and watch a film, it doesn't bother me. I'm just watching a film. I don't care. But Pitch Perfect 3... I guess the best thing I can say about it is that it's better than Pitch Perfect 2, to be honest. Wow. Yeah, that's that's the Quite a statement. glowing review there. Yeah, I feel like that's the sort of movie that you either like it or you don't, you know by now. Yep. If you're into Pitch Perfect, if you've seen 1 and 2, you're going to watch 3. Yep. If you haven't... It's the same thing over and over. Yeah. And I mean, what what more can you do? I didn't even like the first one. Like, it's an acapella group. It's this huge competition around the world. I'm like, really? Like... It sounds like the boringest thing I've ever heard in my life. And now they've done it three times. And there's barely any of that singing in there. They have this subplot about... I mean, I'm going to spoil it. So don't. Don't spoil I'll, it. I won't. There's just this terrible subplot on the side that's awful. And I, I actually think the most awful thing about it is John Lithgow. He, he, ha- <laughs> he plays Rebel Wilson's father. And he has this ridiculous Aussie accent. It is, so, it is the worst Aussie accent I've ever heard. It is just horrible. Surely it's funny. No. Does he say Aussie? I don't know. I can't. Does I he so, say I was so out of Melbourne? It. No. <laughs> no. Like like Dean said, if you if you like the first two, you're gonna like this one. If you didn't like the other ones, you're definitely not gonna like this one. Hard pass. Moving on. Peter Rabbit. All right. It is all right. It's actually better than I expected. I watched it with the kids, and I sort of thought I wouldn't enjoy it at all, and I did. Um, I still wouldn't recommend it, but General Hux is really good in it. Rose Burns goods in it. Rose Burns Goods in it. You know Rose Burns Goods. She's good. Okay, the worst thing about Peter Rabbit is Peter Rabbit. The character yeah. of Peter Rabbit is arrogant, obnoxious, immature. I know it's a kid rabbit, but is really, really, really unlikable. And he never has that arc where he becomes likable. It's now my wife Britt says, Oh, but that's that's what Peter Rabbit is. Like he's he's like that, but I tend to disagree. I saw the old cartoons. I used to watch them all the time when I was a kid, and I really liked them. And this this character of Peter Rabbit is just mean and stupid, and he can go away. <laughs> I, I wish General Hux would just kill him, to be honest, because this rabbit is really annoying. But, you know, it's it's okay. It's it's fine. It's better than all the other movies that I've talked said- about. Well, that, okay? that, is that the glory of you? It's better than the other ones I've said so far. 
Yes. Which is the statement you're gonna you could make for every movie coming along. I could, and I intend to. <laughs> yeah. Now it's fine. Like I think you should watch it with the kids. The kids will like it. It's a fine movie. It's enjoyable enough. Some of the premise is silly and it's really unrealistic in bits, but only like child unrealistic. Like it's not, it's not stupid. It's just Peter Rabbit is so annoying. Yep. Yeah, okay. Fair enough. And yeah, like like what I agree with you there. Like in general, I could just I could basically watch any movie. As, like if I'm sitting there with my wife and we watch one of the movies that she likes or if I'm sitting there with my kids and we could watch any of those, you know, terrible animation films they got like fucking Trolls and what's another one? The Angry Birds movie and that. I watched all those with my Emoji kids. Emoji movie. I didn't watch that. I didn't watch that. Mostly because I don't want to fucking subject my kids to that. Oh, you hero. Thank you. <laughs> I've got two more movies that I don't recommend on my list. This next one. I don't know how you can have two pretty brilliant performances in a film and have everything else about it be so dull and confusing and boring but my god paul thomas anderson's the master is exactly (laughs) that yes yes (laughs) yes you don't like it i'm not wrong i was waiting for this big you're crazy, Dean. This movie is a masterpiece. Joaquin Phoenix Paul and Thomas Anderson is so genius here. Joaquin Phoenix and Philip Seymour Hoffman are so good in this film, but everything else no, just it, drags it, oh. it down. I'm yeah, watching and I'm it's like, shocking. what is going on? I told you. Oh, and I, told I was you so was disappointed because I wanted to like it and I and I want to prove you wrong. That's what I live <laughs> for. But I couldn't do it, Dean. I agree. I did not like this film. <sighs> That's a win. Two two great performances, but everything else in it is so long, so boring. I had no idea what was going on. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> yeah, pass. Oh, that's awesome. <laughs> totally forgot about that movie. Um, okay, the next one for me, Betting on Zero, documentary about some pyramid scheme. It's fine. It was actually really interesting at the start when they're setting up this whole... The first half of the movie, I actually really, really liked. It's very interesting seeing the brilliance of this company and what they've been been able to achieve. Yeah. And then you've got this guy going up against them, you know, he's betting that they're going to fail and all this stuff. And then you're seeing all these interviews and like, oh, yeah, where's this going? And it goes nowhere. Once you hit that halfway mark... You basically get a repeat of everything you've just seen. Again, end the movie. There's no closure. There's no reveals that come. There's just more of the same interviews. They repeat the same information back to you again and again. And it was really disappointing. Like, the start was so strong. And it's it's honestly really fascinating because we're talking mega, mega bucks here. Yeah. And it just it goes nowhere. Yeah, okay. I really liked the film when I watched it last year. I agree that I think that the end did fall a little flat. But I still enjoyed it overall, and I recommended that to you, didn't I? Yeah. Yeah. Okay, fair enough. Yep. So my last film that I don't recommend for you to watch is another Netflix film. It's A Futile and Stupid Gesture, probably because I didn't really know too much about National Lampoon. I only knew about their films. I didn't know they had this magazine that is this huge deal, apparently. But other than that, I found it quite boring. I think that... The, the best part of the film was seeing these classic 70s and 80s comedians being portrayed by these people. Like, having Joel McHale play Chevy Chase is fantastic, considering their work together on Community. I thought that was the best part of it. But in the end, for me, it felt half-measured. I think that it was a bit repetitive, a bit boring. It felt like 
almost like a bad version of Boogie Nights, I guess. So I just uh, skip this one. And it's my final skip. Everything else I'm going to talk about now, I would say you can watch. I could. Next movie for me is I, Daniel Blake. I feel like this would appeal to a lot of people, this movie. This, I'm a struggling person. I'm going to go to my government to try and get some handouts here to help me. And it's so hard and, you know, fuck the government. They're so mean and the system's wrong and we need to, we need to fix this system. It's just sad to watch it, honestly. And then, but the problem is like, that's half the movie and that's the, the meat of the movie. But they obviously realize, hey... That's not enough to make a full feature film, so we've got to chuck in something else. What can we do? Oh, I know. Let's throw in a random poor woman with her child just to spice things up. It's so pointless. It's so boring. The arcs are... I mean, they're there, I guess, but he's just so grumpy. He's a grumpy old man that all all of a sudden does really kind gestures to show the audience that it's not he that's wrong hating the government. It's the government that's wrong. Look how nice this man is to everyone. I didn't like it. I thought the end the end was terrible. But yeah, this movie was, was bad. I mean, again, it's better than all the other films I've talked about, but it's like the uh, okay, they keep saying it. No, nah, there must there must be positives. I'm just Is this this is not recommend. Yeah. I wouldn't recommend this. I saw it some time ago. But like that's the thing, like you talk about like as I said, I've lost all my notes, so I'm going off memory here and that's what I remember about this movie. Okay. You know, like, I've got all my ratings, I did all my rankings, I know where all these movies stand in my mind, but I sort of look at I, Daniel Blake, I'm like, I don't know what I liked about it. Honestly, I'm trying to think, what did I like about it? The colours were good, I think. Is that it? So why is it so high? I don't know. I wasn't bored. I don't think I was bored watching it. That's a I just couldn't agree. Yeah, I mean, honestly, you're right. Like, I watched so many movies that if it's not boring, that's a massive plus. Yeah. This movie wasn't boring, it's just... You're That's basically like, the first part, if you're entertained. You're like, oh, come on. <laughs> really? <laughs> All right, so my first film that I would recommend to everyone is a Netflix film, would you believe? It's when we first met. Obviously, Dean spoke about this on the last podcast. I basically mirror everything you say. It's a lighthearted comedy. There's, you know, good humor in it. it it's it's fun. Like, it's, yeah, obviously, I, you know, I love Groundhog Day, and most Groundhog Day ripoffs are... I do love it. Yeah, I like all that stuff. Don't try and take my thing. <laughs> <laughs> this is this is your wheelhouse, is it? I thought your wheelhouse was Batman. No, it's time travel. It's body swapping. Oh, you can't have you can't have. I've everything. got it all. I've got it all. All right, all of that stuff's mine. What's mine? Foreign and black and white. Sure, musicals. <laughs> <laughs> nah, this is this is a fine film. If you know popcorn film, it's on Netflix. So if you go yeah. past it, it is a good film. Just, yeah, just watch it. It's it's enjoyable. Yeah, uh, I got Brad Status up next. A Ben Stiller led thing about. How intelligent in the Ben Stiller today. How intelligent Ben Stiller is. How deep and thoughtful he is. Does it go five five minutes? With all these university, you know, brains and the whole thing is retrospective, which I do like. I do like I do like movies and characters that look at themselves, who they are, and sort of try and get a feel for how they how they fit into the world. This movie was like non stop on that, like all the time. And the relationship with the son was really odd. Yeah, I wouldn't recommend this one. Okay. Uh, my next film is an education. Yeah, I thought it was it was entertaining. It was it was a nice story. Carrie Mulligan's really good in it. Uh, I'd, I watched it so long ago as well now. Yeah, I I really enjoyed it. I thought it was nice. Nice. Wow. Well, it's you really right have a way with words. It's right in the... It's, it's what, ju- you did it's it come out, do you remember? The, oh, like 
2009. Yeah, I saw it when it came out and I really, really oh, liked it. called it, 2009. <laughs> I really, really liked it. I haven't seen it since. I was sort of wondering if it's worth re-watching yeah, it. Yeah, sure. Like, Carrie Mulligan, I remember like really falling in love with her on that movie. She's real... Um, I'm interested in seeing a new film, Wildlife, when it comes out this year. It's supposed to be getting good buzz. It's supposed to be? Or is it? It's supposed to be. I haven't done it yet. Is it Moses supposed to be? What's your next one, Dean? Uh, Hard Eight. PTA's Hard Eight. Oh, me too. Is it really? Yeah, it's my next one. Cool. Hence, uh, rounding out your three films you gave me last week. Yeah. Um, Hard Eight. It's hard for me to talk about this movie without spoiling it, to be honest. There's a lot that happens in the third act that I have a lot of issues with in regards to character behavior, motivations, explanations of things that's going on. Sort of takes a turn at one point, and from then on, I feel like it sort of gets derailed. To be honest, this film is very light on plot as well. But at least it's interesting. And casino movies are generally very yeah. enjoyable. Yeah, I did like, I did enjoy the scene when he's getting him to go back and forth from yeah, the cage. Oh, yeah. yeah, I love that stuff. It's yeah, that clever. Was it's smart. You're like, oh, yeah, that's real smart. Well done. Yeah. You know, you're watching, you're like, yeah. And Philip Baker Hall, I'm really not a fan of his, to be honest, except in Magnolia, but he's just so grumpy all the time. He's so one note. <laughs> Curmudgeon. <laughs> <laughs> he is. Who else is in it? John C. Riley. I'm not a John C. Riley fan. He, he's, his filmography is so weird. It's very, it's very weird. It's he does, yeah. I mean, good on him. He's got great range yeah. of movies. Sam Jackson is Sam Jackson, but yeah. I mean, the only reason I like would I recommend this only if you want to like complete the Paul Thomas Anderson sort of uh, filmography. It's it's worth watching. Like it's fine. It's just. Yeah, I feel like the third act just falls apart. What do you think? Yeah, I pretty much agree with you. Uh, you didn't like the third act. I, I didn't really. It didn't detract from me. Like I, it was, it was eh. Like whatever. It's not. It wasn't a great ending. It wasn't a bad ending for me either. I just liked the script. I guess it was a good character piece of human and social interaction. I think the acting was pretty good. It was overall for a, a directional debut. It's not the greatest, but it's. You can see... It's no Reservoir got, Dogs. Uh, yeah. You can see he's got... There's opportunity there, and you can see that he's got potential, which he does end up giving us a lot of in his next films, except for The Master. The Master. All right, back to you. Also, I didn't, was... I didn't buy Gwyneth Paltrow as a hooker either. She's far too upper class for that. Like, I didn't, I didn't buy it at all. What about Julia Roberts? She's awesome. She's a hooker with a heart of gold, though. Ah, there you go. Gwyneth that's, that's the difference. Yeah, Gwyneth Paltrow <laughs> is not a hooker with a heart of gold. <laughs> Okay, next movie, we're definitely into recommend for me at this point. Oh, actually, I've skipped a movie. As I'd, I forgot on our last podcast to talk about a movie called Columbus. Which I've already spoken about on the podcast. So, so I'll keep my I wrote I out. wrote a list down of all the movies that I'd seen, all 30 of them, and I forgot to put Columbus on. I'm guessing that's going to end up putting it quite low on your list. Uh, not really. I, I would put it between probably Brad Status and uh, Daniel Blake. Maybe Hard Eight and Brad Status. It's around the middle ground. Like it's it's very slow, but there are some good there are good some good scenes where you know the main two leads are just having natural conversation. All the architecture stuff is probably interesting. It's interesting enough. Like they they talk about it a lot. I didn't feel like they probably overdid it though. But the leads are good. Some of their dialogue's pretty good. It's just, it's so forgettable. Like, 
I could not tell you hardly anything else about that movie now. I cannot even picture the female lead. Okay. I disagree there, but... You disagree that well, I can't I've actually, picture the female lead? I disagree that... Like, <laughs> obviously, I'm not in your head. <laughs> anyway, let's move on from that. I'm not sure if I've just messed up our jump order. No, no, it was you, you were next. And you just, okay, you just I was next. Take a tangent. John Wick 2. Okay. Jo- John Wick 2 is good. I still don't know if I like it more than number one. Probably not. I do. Yeah. Yeah. No, nah, I don't. Okay. I've I've decided. Okay. I like number one more. There's stuff that happens. Again, like I don't mean to say this every time. But there's stuff that happens at the end where it's just like, really? Like, I can't even, I can't even allude to it, but he's walking around and everyone is sort of giving him some looks and all that. Keanu Reeves, obviously, suits this role very well. The action's really good, um, which, I mean, really, that's all I need to say. The action's really good. It's not boring. It's enjoyable. Keanu Reeves is really entertaining. That's enough. See, I'm agreeing with you there. I think the action is much better than the first one, but I also think that the... I felt the story was better in the first one. I think the story's better in the second one. I think there actually is a story in the second one. I feel like the, the first, first one the first one teased at this mysterious world, and it had a lot of intrigue, like, ooh, I wonder what's going on there. I'd like to see more. And then they sort of pull the curtain back, and you're like, oh, okay. No, I think I think they op- they did it in a good way. They opened up on the on the story, on the universe that they are trying to get going here. The first one is basically they kill these dog, and he goes apeshit and kills everyone. This one actually has a story where he's supposed to pay this debt back from this guy he who saved his life, and he doesn't want to because he's retired. But then they make him do it, and you know he has to come out of retirement. Like it's a bit of more of a story, yeah, much better action, before. much better action. I found it much more enjoyable than John Wick One. Much more. Much more. Much more enjoyable. Half a star more? Full star. No? Half a star. I think it's half a star. Yeah, I think it is. Okay, what's next for you? Brigsby Bear. Brigsby Bear. Yeah, I would put this as a cross between Room and The Disaster Artist. That's probably how I would mix this yeah, it's together. It's a very odd tone, isn't it? Yeah. So, uh, all I knew about this film was the name of it. Well, pretty much like you. Yep. And... The fact that I had Mark Hamill in it. That was, the, that was the only two things I knew about it. And yeah, please go and if you're going to watch it, do that as well. Try not to watch... Don't watch any trailers. Even though when I watched it, I went back and watched the first trailer. They don't reveal anything. Really? Yeah, they don't show... They, they don't... It's There's no voice. There's no voicing in it. It's just it's a couple of shots okay. and some music and that's it. Okay. Very intri- A very good way to do the trailer. But it's going to be a better experience for you if you do do that because as a reveal of what is actually going on, it, it took me off guard... And it was a welcome surprise. The film itself is, is also quite good. It's incredibly unique. It's warm-hearted in the right places. It's, it's funny at the right times. And it gives us a nice story about growing up, but also about not forgetting your childhood, as well as being very inspirational and learning to pursue your dreams, no matter how far off into your memory they might be. Acting is okay. There's no standouts and nothing spectacular. I think the big issue for me I had was that there was no backstory to two of the main characters in the film. And by a bit, I actually mean a lot, because we get virtually no explanation and reasoning for some of the actions they take, which left a big chunk off of the film for me. I wish they had explored that a bit more. But overall, it's still an enjoyable film, and I do recommend you go check it out. Please try and go in blind. The less you know about it, the better experience you'll have, I think. Mm, Yeah, I agree. Uh, Next up for me, I've got Punch Drunk Love. Radio. You seen that? I did. I watched it sometime last year. I thought, okay. it was, I thought it was really good. Yeah, it is really good. Adam Sandler's best role. He's really, really good in this movie. The issue with it I have, though, is that he still does his talking normally and then out of nowhere just screams <laughs> in anger. 
and I'm sure he's trying really hard not to be comical when he does it, but he just goes, he goes that little bit too far with his anger. He goes from zero to a hundred and no, in part, that's part of the main character's sort of one of his characteristics, one of his defining characteristics, I guess. But when it's Adam Sandler, you are immediately reminded of the likes of Little Nicky and his other silly comedies that he's done. But I say all that, but on the whole, he's really good in it. Emily Watson's really good in it too. The story's, it's original. It's a small sort of little love story about two offbeat characters. And I thought the way they did it, or the way Paul Thomas Anderson did it, was really was really charming, really cute. And I got a, yeah, I got a lot of enjoyment out of it. Cool. Awesome. Yeah. Uh, my next film is Jumanji, Welcome to the Jungle, which was such a surprise for me. I... I can't tell you how much I rolled when I saw the trailer for it when it first came. I'm like, yeah, you oh, hated it. Oh, come you sent on. me a message like, yeah. oh my god, I'm like watch this shit. Like, <laughs> it looks so bad. Like here we go, another The Rock and Kevin Hart. I really like The Rock. Can we? He's, do we have to? We have to start calling him Dwayne Johnson. No, he's The Rock. He's The Rock. Yeah, and, I really like The Rock. He's always oh, so engaging. My God, I saw this this um, tweet the other day from someone. I can't remember who it was. Where they're like, they showed three stills of The Rock. <laughs> Like in this, in you know, his khaki, his khaki, whatever, whatever accent you want to say, in his shirt, standing there, looking tough with this green forest background. Three different pictures, like this is, and the the caption is, this is legitimately from three different rock films, <laughs> like, and it's the same fucking picture. Yeah. Like it was amazing. Like that is, he's that's uh, who, what he's he does. found a winner. Yep. Like, good on him. And I think I think it was Jumanji. I think the other one was Rampage, and I, I can't remember what the third one was. But yeah, it was pretty funny to look at. But Los Angeles. No, I don't know. I don't know. Whatever. Um, Welcome to the jungle. <laughs> no, but I am pleasantly surprised to say this movie is really, really enjoyable. It's got a simple enough story. It's it's done well with it's a great story the, with the, with the game elements. I really enjoyed well, how they did that. I know there are some people out there listening that um, weren't a fan of this film, but I think all that game stuff was fantastic. It put a new spin on it. Yeah. Put a necessary, refreshing spin on it. If they'd just gone back to board game and try mm. and almost remake the first one, it's no good. Like, you've got to do something different. The fact that they actually go into Jumanji is great. All the characters working together are really good. The fact that they all change their bodies into, you know... These different characters. It's funny. Yeah. Like, Jack Black's really funny. Jack Black is the best thing of this movie. He, him playing a 16-year-old... He you know, was made to play a 16-year-old girl. It was, it was fantastic. He was so good in this film. It's... Do, do you think it's better than the first one? Like, the original Jumanji? What? I'm asking you a question. How dare you? Good, because I don't. I'm asking you a question. Not even close. Good. There we go. Come on. Yeah. No, I just... I've seen the first one probably... <sighs> I don't know, 20 plus times easily. Yeah. Nah, I, I agree. The original Jumanji is much better. Robert Williams, man. Yeah, for sure. How dare you insult him with that question? I'm just asking a general movie question. Is that not allowed? No. Anyway, Jumanji is really good. It is. All right, now onto me. Another great title. It almost would have won except for Scooby-Doo and Batman, The Brave and The Bold. Um, we've got Lego, DC, Superheroes, The Flash. <sighs> Why couldn't they call it Lego Flash? <laughs> Why are you asking? You've me? got Lego Batman. Why not Lego Flash? I don't get it. I don't know. You're asking the wrong person. It's like here. they're they're setting up a franchise like Lego DC Superheroes: colon, Who's it going to be well, this time? Well, they don't time? have any other DC franchises got, to look forward we've to. We've got the Flash this time. Maybe Green Lantern next time. Throw in Shazam for the time after that. It doesn't matter. I'll watch them all. This one legitimately is really good though. I think I like this more than Lego Batman. 
to oh, be honest. Get the fuck out of here. No, I really do. The Flash is a fantastic character. Uh, very underrated for those who aren't into anything really further into DC because there's no mainstream Flash movie or anything and his appearance in Justice League isn't enough to fall in love with. But I really like The Flash. This movie's great. The thing with Flash is, you know what Flash does? He travels through time, okay? He does it all the time. What? Yeah, I know. Okay, so it's really good. The villains are fantastic. you got the whole Justice League coming together, trying to fight Lex... You're not going to get me to watch this. I just need to win another bet. (laughs) Then you'll watch it. And you know what you'll say? You know what, Dan? You were right. Lego, DC, superheroes, colon, The Flash. You know what I'll say? It's a great film. You know what, Dean? You're right. They should have kept it at Lego Flash because they're not going to make another one of these. (laughs) Uh, Anyway, so, yeah, I really recommend this. I really, really do. Fair enough. All right, um, you have to. You're at number eleven now, aren't you? Because you you added Columbus in in the middle. I have ten left. You're at ten, are you? I have ten left. That was number eleven. Okay. Oh, well, my number eleven was the killing of the sacred deer. So we can move into our top ten. Our top ten for the month. This we probably won't get. We probably won't have a top ten from now on after this, will we? I fucking hope not. Um, my next movie is Hands of Love. Um, this is one of the movies that. Sorry, what? Hounds of Love. Oh, I thought you said Hands of Love. Hounds God. of Love. What the hell is that? Hounds of Love, yeah. Okay. This is one of those movies that I knew nothing about. All I'd seen is the poster. So straight away I was surprised to see that it was an Australian movie. It was set in Perth in, I don't know, the 60s or 70s. No, it wouldn't have been 60s, 70s or 80s maybe. I think the 80s. 80s. I wasn't sure if it was a true story when I was watching it. Um, it takes a look at some low, lower class uh, psychopaths. And their their relationship and the they basically they kidnap, rape and murder teenage girls repeatedly. And of course you start following one girl, it happens to her and you start sort of seeing, you know, the full extent of what happens there. I felt like there are a few scenes they sorta of didn't have the balls to show everything. And I don't mean like graphic sexual stuff. I just mean violent stuff where it's already a violent movie and there are scenes where they blatantly just refuse to show show what's happening on screen. And I just thought it was a bit weak and maybe they were doing it to try and have more of an impact so you don't see it, but I don't know. I just felt like they didn't pull the punch quite, quite the way I wanted, but it's a... I mean, enjoyable is probably not the right word, but I I enjoyed watching it. It was a good movie. Yep, I agree there. I enjoyed that movie too. My number 10 for this podcast is Game Night. I watched this recently. Really? Yeah. Game Night. It was so funny. I don't even know anything about it. Is it a comedy? Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's got Jason Who's- Bateman, Rachel McAdams in it. And and it's... Is it realistic? It's not like a horror of comedy? No, or no, no, no. It's just a comedy. It's, it's, a straight it's an action comedy. comedy. And it's about... Action comedy. Yeah, it's about this couple who like they love their game nights and they have all their friends They do their game nights and... Jason Bateman is the main character, and his brother, who's like this big hotshot, he's he's in town, and he hosts the game night, and he hosts this murder mystery. Like one of those ones, uh, they go, solve okay. all the clues. Yep. But then actual kidnappers come in and take him, and they all think that it's part of the game. And I thought it was really funny. Like, there's a lot of laugh-out-loud moments. Jason Bateman plays Jason Bateman, but he's usually quite funny. Rachel McAdams does all right. The action in it is okay. The... I think the the side characters are the funniest. Jesse Plemons is in this as yep. the, as the this really creepy no yeah this creepy cop neighbor that they don't get a lot that they want to avoid and he's so eerie like eerie but funny as well. And oh man, I've forgotten the guy's name, but he 
He's the guy from Ingrid Goes West, the brother, the douchey brother. Hmm. He's in this as the dumb dickhead friend who who does all the stupid humor in it. He's hilarious. He puts off so, so many fun one-liners. Overall, this film is just a genuine, funny, popcorn-style film. You'll enjoy it. There is a cameo at the end by someone who I've not seen in years, and it was... Was it Harrison Ford? It was... <laughs> It was so just shocking. I'm like, whoa, I did not expect to see this person ever again. Hmm. But they're in it. It's it's funny. You'll enjoy Like, when you see who it is, you'll be like, you'll do the same as what I did. But I think it's a very solid recommend of a film. Just, yeah, good good comedy for 2018. Good stuff. Hmm. Logan Lucky is my next one. I uh, don't really have too much to say, honestly. Uh, Soderbergh, Heist Film, Channing Tatum, Daniel Craig... Adam Driver, they're all really good in it. You know, it's complicated enough the way it's filmed, uh, like the way they show you stuff and the timing of when they show you what's happening, very Soderbergh-esque. You sort of have it and you have some reveals later on and all that sort of stuff. It's all it's all good stuff. Obviously, I've heard that you and from you that others were really down on Seth MacFarlane and Hilary Swank. Yep. Actually, didn't think they were too bad. Seth MacFarlane suited the character fine and all the curly hair and stuff yeah that's fine i didn't mind that at all the hillary swank stuff like she's okay in it it's just yeah her character was yeah it's unnecessary that whole that whole bit with her you could have lost easily or if you didn't want to lose it like that set that character up like she's brought in right at the end you need to have her bring her in halfway through like bring her in as someone who gets involved earlier on if you're gonna go that way with her which is fine like she was okay in it and i actually didn't mind that element to it it just felt so out of place and left field that she popped up the way she did so i felt like don't lose her altogether. it just should have brought her in and set her up a bit throughout the movie but um yeah thoroughly enjoyable movie cool all right, my number nine is Black Panther. So it's a, a fine Marvel film for me. There's go on, just say Mark. You think Michael B. Jordan's the best Marvel villain? Well, I agree. I I think he is. I think he is the best villain. I think he's better than Loki. I think he's much more fleshed out as a as a character with a better backstory and better motivation. I think that he is the best. He's the best character in this film. He's the best villain in the Marvel universe. Aside from that, I think the action is okay. I think the CGI is really bad. In a lot of scenes, I think that the first half of the film really didn't do anything plot-wise. It sort of took its time before it got into the actual plot, which is in the second half. Overall, I, like it's not top-tier Marvel. Like it's definitely in the middle for me. What do you, what do you consider top-tier, and not in relation to Marvel, just like percentage-wise? Would you say top thirty is top-tier? What do you mean top what? You're saying it's not top-tier. Yeah. Let's say Marvel has thirty movies. How many of them are? top tier or is it just based on quality if there's third it's based on quality not tiers tiers for me are like rankings yeah it's in the middle it's it's fine for i think it's better than in the middle nah i i it's it's ridiculous how well this movie is doing at the box office it is insane how well it's doing yeah but i think it's better than average marvel film no, I think there's a lot of others that I would watch before this one again. But it has the greatest villain in the MCU. But So? That's one part of a film. Anyway, yep. Next movie is Personal Shopper, which 
don't know, we talk about enjoying movies a lot. I'm not sure I actually watched this and enjoyed it, but man, I really appreciated it. Kirsten Stewart is really good in it. Kristen like, Stewart. Kristen Stewart is really good in it. Um, her sort of one-note demeanor is very suited to to the role she's playing. The whole mystery and the ghost side of it, which, you know, is the the meat of the movie, it's it's intriguing. Like, it's it's thrilling in some scenes. It's unconventional. The ending can be read many ways, which I really love. Like, yeah. when the movie finished, I like, really thought about it, read different reviews and different interpretations of what the end could mean, and I really, I really appreciated it, and I felt like it's a... It's a bit of a special movie. Awesome. Good to hear. My number eight is John Wick Chapter 2. We've spoken about that. My next one is Jumanji. We spoke about that. My number seven is God's Own Country. We spoke about that. My next one is Paddington. Paddington. Okay. Paddington number one. All right. Okay. Uh, Paddington number one. I can't believe I hadn't seen it before. My kids have had it for a while. They've watched it a few times around me. I've just never bothered to sit down and watch it. This film's awesome. Like, it's so... Paddington is so adorable, like he's so likable, he's so pure, and the, the the sort of dramas he gets himself into, they're they're innocent, they're fun. The characters are really good, except Nicole Kidman. Nicole Kidman. <laughs> so I know it's your turn next, but I'm going to jump in. The next movie is Paddington Two, and the only re- they're so similar. Paddington One and Two are incredibly similar, and the only reason I put Two above One is because Nicole Kidman isn't in Two. Like, Hugh Grant's in number two, and he's pretty good for what he's doing, but it's just... I, f- I probably laughed more in the first one, to be honest. Okay. I actually, Yeah, it's not probably. I laughed more in the first one, and it felt it felt fresher being the original, so I give kudos to the original there, but Nicole Kidman really did annoy me in the first one, and Hugh Grant was pretty solid in the second one, so that's really the only reason I put them put two above one, but they are extremely similar. I don't know why so many people are raving that number two's so much better than one. I Yeah, I don't see that. I think they're both really strong movies, though. Yeah, okay. So, my number six is Shot Caller. Now, this is a film that I didn't pay any attention to last year. I must, I just brushed past it, but you told me to check it out. So oh, let, let's give credit where credit's due. Dean told me to watch this film. and the And Shane told me to watch it. My brother Shane, so thanks Shane. This movie's awesome. Like I know, I don't know what number you have it at six. This is my number one movie. Wow, number yeah. one. Okay, number one. All right. So yeah, it's a, it's an enjoyable film. Film like Nikolai Costavaldo completely owns the role. He looks unrecognizable at points in this film, and he shows that he can put on a solid acting performance when he wants. I like the use of the transitioning between the time after his release, you know, and his story prior to prison, and even the time actually spent in prison. It worked really well. Yeah, it's cut together really yeah. well. You gradually see how he came to be pretty high up and respected in his gang, while still continuing to learn his story along quite smoothly. If it was done in chronological order, I think this would have been a much more inferior film. Like the violence is very is brutal when it oh, needs yeah. to be. Uh, but it's ne- it never gets over the top or used for shock value either, which I liked. What holds it from going higher for me is there's too much emphasis on this parole officer character they have and this war veteran thug guy. I, I think they put too much time into them and their arcs. I like the parole officer. I don't think it goes anywhere. I think who's, it fizzles out. Who's the war veteran? The, guy, the young kid who t- gets him to the guns and he's driving in the car with him and he... He's fine. I just think there's too much in, there's too much emphasis on him, and they could have you know moved out from that. Um, either way, it's still a really good film. I enjoyed it a lot. 
Yeah, I, I, I loved it. I love prison movies. Uh, Nicola, whatever his name is, <laughs> is fantastic in it. Yeah, I, yeah. your criticisms of those two characters, I didn't see at all. I thought they were all good. Every character felt necessary. The the arc that this guy goes through and the story of this guy, it's, it's really fascinating. And it sort of makes you think like, you know, like this guy's just a normal, ordinary Joe and he goes to a hardcore prison. How does he survive that life? You know, yeah. what does he have to do to live? You know, it's not about, it's not like he's after a huge amount of power. He just wants to survive in prison and it's, you know, it's touching. It's, I I mean, it felt realistic. I've got no idea what prison life is really like, but it felt realistic and it felt honest and I really, I really enjoyed it. Yeah, awesome. My number five is Annihilation. That's my number four. Number four. What was your number five? Paddington 2. Ah, that's right. Okay, cool. Yeah, Annihilation is, Jesus, man, this film, it blew me away. It's... Visually stunning to look at. Got strong blends of sci-fi and horror. Got this eerie score that gives it this tension. It's it's paced well that it never feels like a long movie. And it is a long movie, but it never felt like it for me. Because it's so interesting. Yes. Because you're so invested. And like there's this great mystery about, you know, the nothing um, <laughs> from Never Ending Story. Um, but you've got to find, you know, like... They're trying to find out what it is, what's at the center of it, what's caused it, what, why aren't these people coming back when they go on their missions? And you generally want to know. Like, it's, yeah. it's so interesting. Yeah, and even with all of this going on, there's still, it's, it's ambiguous. It's, it's got an... It, it's, and that's what makes me really enjoy this film is that not all these questions get answered. It's not spoon-fed to you. It can mean one thing to one person and, and something completely different to someone else. And that's why I love movies. You can have a quality conversation about this film. And that's and it's pretty much that. And it's very rare to have something like that these days. Most films are just cookie-cutter. They're... Like, I love films that are innovative like this. It's different. It yeah. takes risks. It's You've got, got to appreciate that. It's got great concepts and ideas like cell merging and blending and the way Alex Garland uses these themes and the way he plays with it like certain shots like two hands merging together in a glass of water for example or having certain shots when they're in the shimmer it feels blurry or merging in just just these little pieces here and there great topics of like mutation self-destruction both in body and mind and which ups the tension and paranoia that the characters feel and ultimately we feel as we go along on this journey. I don't think it's as good as Ex Machina. No. No. It does have flaws. It's got flaws. I think Oscar Isaacs and Jennifer Jason Leigh are really good in this film. I don't think Natalie Portman was that great, but I feel like on a rewatch... I can get more invested into a character if I pay a bit more attention to what she, what her characteristics are now that I've seen where her journey goes. Mm. But I, I really enjoyed this film and I think it definitely deserves a rewatch to get more out of it as well. It's a, it's a movie you can watch many, many times over and get Oh, well, that's a big call. I'm not sure it's a movie you can watch many, oh, many times Probably not, but over. I can definitely watch it again. It's no Jumanji. <laughs> no, I really, really enjoyed it. Yeah. My next film is Fallon which is directed by the same director who did Shot Caller. And again, here we've got a hyper-realistic uh, prison film. It is, yeah, it obviously does have some similarities to Shot Caller, but yeah, they are obviously different. And Fallon explores a different aspect of prison life and how brutal life is on the inside, which, I mean, Shot Caller does as well. But it's, yeah, it's it's... It's really good in its own right as well. And obviously this came before Shot Caller, so, you know, it's not like it's, if anything, Shot Caller's taking off Fallon, but 
Fallon is solid, and if you're into prison movies, you've got to go see Fallon. You've got to see Shot Caller. Val Kilmer's in Fallon. He's great. So get on that. I might get around to watching. It. I did like I did like Shot Caller. So yeah. if you like Shot Caller, you'll like Fallon. Uh, so my number four film is Bad Genius. I did watch it, Dean, and man. This film delivered in every sense of the word. Yeah, it's a great film. The way this film is shot, edited, scored is up there with some of the most intense and dramatic films you'll find. The acting is great from all the four mains. The character development of Lynn, the, the lead, and the arc of the, the rival turned ally bank just added like more fuel to this already brightly burning film, I guess. My, my grubs with the film is that the other two characters, Grace and Pat, they didn't get as much more they didn't get as much development but it's not that big of a deal it didn't really hinder my experience but overall i thought the first half of this film was paced so well and set up their highly intelligent schemes and presented it to us in this perfectly stylized way that it kept my eyes glued to the screen but rather than stay the course which is which would have been fine how it was the movie ups the ante in the second half and doubles down on everything it had done right so far and succeeds and for that it's it's just such a fantastic film. It's a Thai film with subtitles. Most people aren't even going to bat an eye at it. But and, and that's where, you know, we need to stop this. Like, foreign films, some of them are so fantastic. This is a prime example. Yeah. Get out there and watch this film. It is a stunner. It is. Uh, you can go next. Why? Uh, because I did two with Paddington and Paddington 2. And then you did Annihilation, which was my four. But then I jumped into Fallon. Which is three. Which is three. Okay. So these... Oh, so these top four are like the tier, the big tier for me. Aren't you on the top three now? Yeah, but Bad Genius was part oh, of this. Yep. So my number three film, like, it's getting tough. Where to put these? But my number three film is Faces, Places. It's a French documentary about a legendary French director whose name is Agnes Varda and a photographer who's... JR, whose thing is he takes photos and he blows them up and plasters them all over these buildings, like huge pictures and puts them all over these like silos and, and things like that. And this documentary follows them as they journey through rural France, meeting everyday people and hearing about their stories and their lives, as well as seeing their photos get blown up and placed on all these large structures as they go. And man, this is it's just a lovely, joyful film. It's very touching and human, I guess you can say. Like some of these stories that people have are fascinating to listen to. For example, the the first story I'm pretty sure they talk about this woman who lives in this old house on a street where they used to house all these coal miners from the fifties. And she's the only one left who lives there and they're trying to tear all these houses down. And it's a really touching and amazing story. And so what they do is is they get all these pictures of all these coal miners who used to live there and and plaster them all over these buildings and cover her house of a picture of her and the emotional reaction it gets from her it nearly it nearly took me down like it was it's that effective it's insane there can I can I butt in yeah sounds really boring this this is where like I, I think I've heard I of this think you, I... I think you're gonna be bored by it that's why I oh really I I because I know you and you're gonna be like this is snooze fest <laughs> and there's <sighs> there's all these little stories of these people and it but it's not treated like an anthology or something like that because overriding this whole movie is the story of Agnes Varda and JR and the friendship they take up as they go along. And we get a real deep look into Agnes, who's now 90 and still making films, and what it was like growing up and working in the era of French New Wave cinema and how she is now. It's actually insane how well this is made, considering she's having vision issues with her... With her eyes? With her eyes now. 
And as we see the shtick of JR, who never takes his sunglasses off, apparently, this film gives us the theme of basically blurred vision, both in sight and in memories, from all these people they meet along the way to Agnes herself, and how all these pictures being taken are there to treasure those said memories. I really love this film. It's beautiful. It's stunningly shot, too. There's a shot where they're sitting on this old desolate beach, and the wind is so powerful, it's blowing the sand in a way where it looks like they're just sitting on a cloud. Like, it's warm and touching. I bloody loved it. I don't think you would. I hope you do. I, I, I don't even know if you're going to see it, but it's it's going to be up there at the end of the year for me. No doubt. It's a stunt. It's fantastic. Sorry, I just nodded off oh, sorry, that review. Um, you had um, Paddington 2, you've already said. That's actually my number two. That's your number two? Yeah. And... What? Yeah, this is... I agree with you. This is exactly like the first Paddington, but it's so much better. Like, it's it's better in every way possible. You got Paddington back again, showing everyone how amazing and simple it is to be just nice and care for one another, doing his very best to basically earn some money to buy this gift for his aunt. It's laugh out loud funny at points. I had the biggest grin on my face the entire time. Hugh Grant surpasses Nicole Kidman, obviously, as the best Paddington villain. He nails his performance here as this... The best Paddington yeah, villain. Yeah, out of the two. Like, we're going to have this massive rogues gallery <laughs> in 10 years. Who knows? Playing this delusional, washed-up actor doing whatever he has to do to get back in the game. Touch of real life. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I could rewatch this film over and over again. Never lose my grin. You're going to be hearing about this at the end of the year for me, I'm pretty sure. It's a, it's up... Well, obviously, it's, it's going to be up there. It's a... 2018 has... Two just fantastic films already. I'm pumped. Very nice. Oh, you've already ta- you already said your number one as well. I haven't said my number two though. Oh, that's right. Yeah. What's your number two? Do you know? No, I can't remember. I can't be bothered. Only the Brave. Ah, that's right. Only the Brave. Who would have thought a story about firefighters would get to me? But this film, uh, I didn't realize it was a true story. It's um, yeah, like it wisely spent so much time. In, like, the boot camp, I guess, of firefighters, like, you learn who all these guys are and you get to connect with them and care for them. You learn their families, you get to know their backstories, and then when shit hit the, hits a fan and they actually go out and start fighting these huge fires together, it's really impactful on, uh, you know, on an emotional level. And I admit it, it had me in tears. It was really powerful Excellent. and I didn't expect it and I love it. So, if you haven't seen Only the Brave, it's got Josh Brolin. Who else is in it? Taylor Kitsch and Miles Teller. Miles Teller, that's one. Mm. And Miles Teller in it. Who are both really, really good. Like, they really sell these uh, these wounded characters. It's great. Go and see it. Awesome. And number one shot caller. Yeah. All right. So, my number one film I watched in the last month. Do you know what it is, Dean? It's Boogie Nights. Boogie what? Nights. Really? Boogie Nights. Man, okay. PTA second film. Man. No, I didn't love it on a rewatch. Oh, man. I, I couldn't get enough of it. Because I, I watched this as well in the past month. Like, I, I don't talk about the movies I've rewatched, but I watched this one as well. Yeah, we know what your thoughts are. We've heard them before. Have we? Yes. When? In the last one. Oh, keep up. This film has one of the greatest ensemble cast to feature in a film. It's unreal how many actors there are who are just getting started out in Hollywood in this film. All, like, nearly all these people have gone on to do just stunning work since, he, since this film. They all put in a sensational acting performance in this film. There's enough time dedicated to every person for their highs and their lows, their conflicts, both their inner and outer, and ultimately their resolution, whether happy or sad. You'll find yourself connecting with at least one person in this film. The direction from Paul Thomas Anderson is insane. To see the the step up from Heartache to this, 
you get so many of these long one-take shots of moving around crowded places, going from person to person. The amount of effort and talent it takes to pull off that, not just once, but multiple times, is incredible. It's hilarious as well, just at the right times, in all sorts of tones from slapstick right up to the horrifically dark humor. There's also great moments of extreme tension as well, set in the backdrop of the 70s and 80s, which I love films from the 70s and 80s, with this amazing soundtrack. This film is fantastic. And the fact that this isn't even in my top two Paul Thomas Anderson films says something about the quality of this director, The Master Excluded. This is such a fantastic film and is my number one for this podcast. To each their own. So if anyone listened to our previous podcast about our Academy Awards draft, if you were following closely, you'll know that it was a tight race, but in a score of 13 to 12, yours truly took the cake. It was wrapped up right as Francis McDormand walked up to take the trophy. Didn't even matter what one best picture. But I got it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but it didn't I matter. I lost by a point. There are a few that were highly favourites that didn't win. I was, I thought I was sitting pretty at one point, but yeah, if you, you know, he got a few upsets. What do you do? Yeah, exactly. But Can't win them all. Be unfair. Whether you win by, whether you lose by a lot or by a little, you still lose. Wow, that was beautiful the way you. Thank you. The way you said that. Thank you. Thank, no, thank you for that. <laughs> so. All right. What's my punishment? Punishment. I'm not going to give you any bad ones. Well, actually, I don't know. I haven't seen any of these three films. <laughs> <laughs> so my first one. So let's just set this up. So obviously, I lost a bet. So Hendo needs to give me. Three movies, and I need to watch it. Watch them within a fortnight. Yes. Or there will be blood. All right, what do you got? The first one is, I'm pretty sure it's going to complete your Paul Thomas Anderson filmography, and that is Inherent Vice. Ooh, okay. My second one is going to be the Ryan Coogler directorial debut, Fruitvale Station. Nice. And my third one is going to be the... Damien Chazelle written film Grand Piano. Never heard of it. It's the film he did, he wrote basically before Whiplash. Loved his music, doesn't he? Yeah. So those are your three films. Grand Piano? Yeah. Is anyone in it? Elijah Wood. Okay. Yep. Don't watch the trailer. Just go and watch it. Okay. Cool. So that's going to do it. Those are your three films. I was going to be an absolute asshole and give you these two foreign documentaries that I'm interested in hearing about, but... I changed my mind. I changed my mind about five minutes ago. I'm glad you said you changed your mind and not, but I'm not an arsehole. At least we get the truth from you. <laughs> so that's going to do it. We'll see you all next week for... Next what the, week? What the hell are we doing? Next week? Your name. Your name. That's it. All right. See you guys. Bye. Bye.